For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts. Okay, so uh, the Red Tops and the Broadsheets do talk about the storm that's coming in. And I suppose we're heading into uh, a winter where we're going to get, well, autumn and into winter, where we're going to get more of these. So it's as well to be on alert and to be warned and batten down the hatches. Uh, certainly anything in the garden that can fly around. Otherwise, we're going to be seeing in the next couple of days videos and photographs up online of people grappling with trampolines and stuff like that. Uh, so you've been warned. Uh, storm warning is gust or luck as Agnes is set to unleash 130 kilometer an hour tempest. <laughs> tempest. All right, it's a storm, I get that. But a tempest, what would it be followed by? Locust? Anyway, one in eight homes are now in arrears with their energy bills. It's the front page of The Independent today. And you can be damn sure if one in eight homes are in arrears with their energy bills, they're in arrears with other bills as well and struggling and making every single cutback possible. And you know what? Without wanting to overly depress you upon this morning, um, you know, a lot of people, of course, would have had lower energy bills across the summer. Many people have been turning off heating systems for a period of time. They'll all be coming back on again now and people will be filling up with oil and turning back on the systems and worried as to how they're going to pay it. So that's a front page of making the independent today. Meanwhile, without wanting to uh, spread too much doom and gloom, uh, those that are availing of various services and charities on, uh, on Leaside increases year in, year out. We hear about the amount of people that need the help of, say, for instance, Cork Penny Dinners or indeed Vincent de Paul. The Echo this morning have an alarming figure. My understanding of the Cork Simon figure and the work, the good work that Cork Simon do is it's a figure from 2022 where they saw a rise of 33% in demand for their services. They're in deficit of over 750,000 going to show that when they do charity appeals, they're important charity appeals. They got 1,370 men and women supported across all of its services and have seen a 33% increase in people needing their help from 2021 to 2022. God knows what 2023 will be like. But when you talk about people struggling, uh, they come up with all sorts of daft ideas that backfire straight away. Why in the name of God the government didn't realise that if they stop um, you know, asking people to book or to reserve a place for a bus for their children, that it would lead to a huge amount of people wishing to use the service. And that's exactly what's happened, meaning that more and more school children are left without a bus service a month into the new academic year. So it's a story in the Echo today from Rathcormack in particular and all of the families who live in areas surrounding Rathcormack National School. But I'm sure it could be replicated right across other areas of the of the county of Cork. So the school transport system saw a huge demand because the government decided not to charge for the tickets. Um, and then, of course, there was a lot more interest in it, became an awful lot more popular because it was free. And those that need it most then found themselves grappling and trying to get a place on the bus for their children. More and more people are living in Ireland. It's very interesting, the CSO stats that make this morning's mail today. There's just over 5.2 million people in Ireland. That's the estimated amount of which 4.5 million are Irish citizens and three quarters of a million are non-Irish citizens. But they look at the amount of Irish people that came back to live in Ireland. It's almost equal to the amount of people who went to live abroad. It's, that for me is a very interesting figure. It's pretty much 30,000 came back and 30,000 left. So it kind of knocked each other out. Um, the One or two very interesting ones is the amount of people over 65. There's an increase all of the time. People are living longer and to some extent healthier lives and medicine and medical intervention helps to um, you know, we were chatting about it myself and KC uh, before we came on air this morning. You know, you, you looked at a time in, 
in society when people didn't live beyond 50 or 60 years of age and he was talking about the fact that Casey was saying the different kind of really manual jobs that were being done years and years ago and many of them bad for your health whether it was factories or whether it was working uh, you know all hours outdoors without the help of machinery and things like that or even you know, running up and down chimneys. But uh, it's an interesting breakdown. Certainly they're saying that the population will continue to swell. And I think they're talking about another 100,000 people over the next 10 years. When you when you break it down, it's not a lot really if you break it down per year of maybe, you know, nine or 10,000 people extra. But if the services aren't available, uh, then it could end up as being kind of chaotic. The story I go to in a few minutes' time, of course, is down in uh, Wexford. Um, it's not unlike some of the other stories that we heard of in the past. Do you remember Dunlock Bay? when they found a whole load of cocaine uh, just bobbing around in the sea back in 2007. I think it was like 62 bales of cocaine ended up in the sea back there. It became almost focal point for the Young Offenders uh, start of the television series and there was people convicted of that one. Uh, but anyway, the one I'm talking about now is two men who've been arrested following a massive drugs bust off the coast of Wexford. I don't think they've found any drugs yet. I don't think they've even managed to get on board yet. We'll be updating on that one, but they figure it could be up to 140 million euro worth of cocaine. And that's why the star this morning says it's a snowstorm and it's the high winds um, um, apparently had led to problems for this trawler that ran aground on a sandbank. So more on that. It's all right to talk about cocaine and it's fine to be talking about heroin because we know the scourge of both of those. But the next one and the one that we really need to be prepared for because it is absolutely ravaging and savaging America, it's fentanyl. And fentanyl is used as a medical uh, opiate uh, for painkilling, particularly for people with say, for instance, advanced cancer treatment to manage pain, but it is a narcotic now that is being seriously abused and they're saying, actually it was a very interesting article in Saturday's Examiner on fentanyl that Ireland must prepare for it. It's on the way. It's 50, 60 times more powerful than heroin. It's about 100 times more powerful uh, than morphine um, and it will replace heroin because the Taliban in Afghanistan have burnt all of the poppy fields that they use for the production of heroin and of course it will be an ever decreasing supply uh, so dealers and producers and manufacturers and growers have to find a replacement now the story on Leaside of course is one that's being replicated in lots of parts of the county where childcare providers in Cork are closing their doors many of them today and won't open again until Friday it's a three day protest by members of childcare providers on Leaside. It's an interesting story in the Echo where they speak to Julie Murray who owns St Mary's Preschool in West Cork and she says there's been so many changes to how they do their work and the impact on them and the funding that they get from central government that it's becoming less and less viable to open the doors at all. She says it's left me working at a loss for the last two years. And I'm not alone, she says. I'm one of many providers like this. Um, There are so many sad stories. Actually, Julie in the Echo this morning says that parents understand their plight and the fact that they are protesting and closing for a few days. And they say, she says, that parents have been completely understanding about the closure. They understand it, they get it, and the parents have been very, very supportive. Uh, One big story that um, is even dominating the news here in Ireland, um, but very much in the UK, is Russell Brand. In fact, he makes the front of both this morning's Irish editions of the Mirror 
and the Sun because there's ever more um, allegations coming out against Russell Brand. And that's why you have the Mirror's front page this morning saying sex assault claims grow, more women coming forward to accuse him. Cops probe Brand sex assaults. So the two big, bold front pages making the papers today. I probably should have mentioned when I talked about deprivation and people uh, finding it difficult to struggle uh, that um, I see Stephen Donnelly now is asking as we head into the winter uh, private hospitals to do the right thing and give the HSE a dig out this winter. It must be awfully embarrassing that a health minister has to ask the private sector to help the public health sector in spite of the amount of money that's pumped in to the public health sector every single year, particularly to do with health. When you talk about numbers, actually, um, I, I hope it recovers for Patrick Keelty because so far it ain't been good news with regards to the Late Late Show. Uh, they lost over 300,000 viewers, apparently, and they're only two weeks into the show. The numbers tuning in have plummeted in just a week. Um, and unless they do something about the calibre, and no disrespect to the guests that they've had on it, but unless they do something about the calibre of guests on the Late Late Show... What would be the attraction to watch it at all, at all, I wonder? Uh, So he's got a bit of a poison chalice on his hands there at the moment. There are a lot of performers making the papers today. The ever, um, the the, the ongoing health issues regarding Bruce Willis make many of the newspapers this morning because they've all picked up on an interview with his wife and one of his daughters that aired in America over the past few days where they were asked different questions as to how Bruce is. His wife was asked, does he, does he, does he know Um, And does he know the family or does he even know that he has dementia? And they say they're not even sure that he's aware there's anything wrong with his health. I mean, I I did read a time when Willis was talking about his health issues and that he was stepping away from acting. Uh, But apparently his condition has worsened. And it's a story that makes many of the papers today. In fact, the other uh, interesting colour kind of story about performances has to do with Barry Manilow. If you're a Barry Manilow fan, it could be Mandy, it could be uh, Copacabana and all the different hits that he had down through the decades. But he has now passed out the record for Las Vegas performances that was held by Elvis Presley. So the Brooklyn son of a lorry driver became one of the world's most flamboyant superstars and he celebrated another career milestone this week, overtaking Presley's all-time record for a residency in Las Vegas. And apparently Manilow at the young age of 80, incidentally, has performed 637 shows. And his 637th one was over the weekend. And he has a massive following. And apparently, even at the age of 80, he's still belting out the tunes in Vegas. Um, From there into college, uh, as people wonder, and I suppose they made their minds up now as to what they're going to do in college, and they're already probably started the different courses but it might be a little bit late for some. But apparently there's a college up the country in Carlo that is now offering a Bachelor of Arts degree in influencing. So you can go to college to learn <laughs> to, learn to become an influencer or, I suppose, a blogger um, or, you know, how to... I mean, the upside to it is it also includes content creation and social media aspects. So that's got to be a good thing in many ways because that is the future, content creation online and what have you. As we ever change, everything changes so rapidly in the media world. But a Bachelor of Arts in content creation that also includes influencers. Um, <laughs> I, I know, I know I'm... I'm I know I'm laughing about it, but I imagine if you got to look into the bank accounts of some influencers in Ireland, it would certainly wipe the smile off my face. What do you think? Is there a, is there a section on what car parks to use and not use when you're trying to promote your brands? 
that's a low blow. I mean, she's taking the hit for that. Move on. I know, but this whole inference... I'm bringing porridge like, into the on-air studio. I'm Move say, on! <laughs> you have to ask KC about that one now. That's a different story altogether. Um... The whole influencer thing. I mean, I'm going to sound very boomer here, right? And I don't want to come across the wrong way, but do we really want kids growing up believing that becoming a social media influencer is like, uh, you know, like for some people... You're, you're not going to stop this tide. You're not going to stop this but, wave. No, it's I not get, reversible. I get it, and I get it's great for people who do want to get into that space, right? But for the vast majority of people, you can't make a living being a social media influencer. That's why there's only a certain few of them that we follow. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, it's like... It's like saying, oh, I want to grow up and be a professional footballer. It's like, yeah, well, if you're really, really good at it, then maybe. But I like, think it's a lot more than going to college to be an influencer. It has to do with content creation. It has to do with understanding and getting a career in social media or yeah. adapting to the new world we live in. I mean, in another 10 years, nobody will have a physical newspaper in their hand and probably won't have a physical book, although out of my dead hand to take a book I was going to say it, it will, will be all say. screens I think I think though like the thing about look, we still need journalism right we still need people to be on site to report but on even that's that been dumbed happening. down hugely now yeah. unfortunately yeah. and it's not the fault of the journalists what is happening now is you have these major huge companies that are buying up and hoovering up loads and loads of different media platforms and it's all about clicks and it's all about numbers mm-hmm. and it's all about profits and it's all about share and the quality of the journalism will suffer greatly because of and we don't have that many journalism courses in the country so I mean maybe this is the way they're going to go now but they're like, there is no I think there's one in Griffin in Cork but there's none in UCC there's none in CIT if you want if you did want well, to get Griffin into the have media, it and Griffin uh, what was it. known as Skull uh, Steofon Nefa which now is a new name that yeah. also has some good stuff Tomorrow but anyway, campus, yeah. like, anyway but it's just very hard qualifications to... are important but qualifications have no they're not even the same ballpark as personality um, determination, mm. drive, and passion. Yeah, and also you how have you a get masters, on and you can be useless. Yeah, but and it's also about how you interact with people, right? It's about how being able to get on with people. Yeah, and and, and be able to work in a team. Yes, yeah. yeah. lots of people come out of college very qualified up to their nines, but cannot get on with people. No, it's true. It's true. Yeah. Anyway, now to get on to that, but just uh, interesting. If you talk about stuff that's happening in an online world, what kind of a car do you do you drive? Um, you drive an Audi, I, I think. Is I'm an Audi? Just, uh, yeah, I'm driving an Audi, a, a, a very scuffed um, okay. well, you're, well, you're lucky. You don't make the top ten list then of the most aggressive and rude <laughs> no, drivers. No, I, I, think, I think we're there. I think we're somewhere in the middle. Uh, in, oh, God, you're there fifth. We are. Yeah, I'm we're, so sorry. That's not too bad. I'm so sorry. You're, apparently, you're not as rude as Tesla, Land Rover, or BMW. Did you know that BMW drivers think that BMWs don't come with indicators? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <Da-na>. <laughs> da-da, da-da, da-da. Yeah. Anyway, um, I only mention it. Thanks. I'll let you get on because I only mention it because uh, there's a top 10 list that was sent uh, this morning to me uh, by my wife, incidentally. So thank you, Paula. Telling us the different uh, rudest, most aggressive and dangerous drivers in the UK as voted uh, by two and a half thousand people who were polled. And number one, unfortunately, and there's an awful lot of them listening to me this morning, van drivers. Van drivers are the most aggressive, worst drivers, and the rudest of them all. I'm not saying that because they got a job to do, and sometimes it gets difficult for them. God only knows van drivers are plagued by people parking in loading bays and giving them grief and not letting them drop off and deliver. 
but there they are. Number one, van driver, followed by Land Rover drivers. Land Rovers? Who would drop Land Rover drivers into number two? BMW are third, then Tesla and Audi and Mercedes. I have to tell you, I'm surprised to see BMW's third. I would have thought they would have been first. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. I was mentioning an enormous uh, cocaine haul back in 2007 down at West Cork. It was estimated a 1.2 billion euro worth of cocaine was found bobbing in the sea off West Cork. Uh, there was uh, many people involved in that apparently and three Englishmen were convicted of Ireland's biggest ever coke smuggling operation. You might remember it. They were charged after they were caught. It was a bungled smuggling operation like something like 60 odd bales of cocaine were, were in the sea in 2007 down around Dunlock Bay. The backstory to that one at the time was that we're using this rib that had linked up with the catamaran the Lucky Day which had come over from the, across the Atlantic from Barbados and then they were moving it from the catamaran into the rib but apparently they had this very powerful rib with two 200 horsepower engines there were petrol engines but they put diesel into the petrol engines remember that anyway that's a by the way that was 1.2 billion euro worth of cocaine it was an enormous seizure uh, I just mentioned that actually as an intro what's going on down in Wexford right now where I'm told two people have been arrested off a fishing trawler suspected to be having to have cocaine on board. It ran aground off the Wexford coast. Now, interestingly, it could well be said that the Navy and the Gardaí and customs and things were, were aware of this and perhaps tracking. But I want to get the entire story because uh, this, this goes back something in the region of maybe 12 to, to 18 hours, apparently, since all of this started. And Podrick Byrne is a reporter with the Wexford people. So it's on his patch. Podrick, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? Where, where to begin, I suppose? Up, right up to date, I suppose. There have been a couple of arrests, but um, has anybody boarded the trawler yet? Well, I believe uh, the Navy uh, and the Air Corps were trying to land uh, some officers on board the trawler yesterday. But from what I can gather, it, it's, you know, we've had some heavy weather of late. I think it's, it's actually starting to break up a little bit at this point. So it's becoming more challenging as we go on, I guess. Um, I guess the indications at the moment are that we could be talking a fairly significant drug seizure, maybe not as big as the one you mentioned there previously, but we, the figures that are being thrown around at the moment are kind of in and around 140 million You're euro. You're spot on. That's is, about 140. How, I mean, how do they know that? Was this under surveillance, Padraig? It ran aground anyone a sandbank, wasn't it? Yeah, so basically it all it all started on Sunday evening at around half 11. Uh, we had this trawler ran aground on a, a sandbank just off uh, Blackwater in Wexford. Um, the RNLI, Rosslair RNLI and the Coast Guard Rescue 117 helicopter were tasked to the scene. But I understand as they kind of arrived on scene, they had communication from uh, the Irish Navy stating that they were monitoring the activities of this trawler and urging them not to... Uh, go aboard or not to winch anybody off until they arrived at the scene uh, and until the Air Corps arrived at the scene. So essentially what happened was there was like a six-hour operation. The RNLI were trying to fire across tow lines to pull the trawler off the bank and free it, but from what I can gather, the two men on board, uh, what would you say, they weren't uh, exactly the most experienced sailors, should we say. I, I don't think they had much of a clue of what to do with the tow line and that kind of thing. So that kind of came to nothing and then Eventually, it was decided that the Rescue 117 chopper would winch the two men off the trawler and onto the deck of the Ellie William Butler Yates, the Navy vessel, and they were greeted then by 
uh, naval officers and also uh, Gardaí from the National Drugs Unit who were also on board the, the Navy vessel from what I can gather. Um, and then over the course of the day then there was a lot of military activity the following day yesterday uh, up and down the Wexford coast we had Air Corps helicopters sweeping the whole coast Air Corps planes and that scanning out at sea because the word was that there was these bales of cocaine uh, left drifting drifting out at sea Really? Do you think that there is bales of cocaine Yeah, well, that, that's, that's what I understand. As I say, Gardaí are remaining quite tight-lipped about the whole operation. Um, the, the, the attitude that they're taking is this is a live operation, so they won't be making any comment until it c- concludes. But from what I can gather, there were uh, bales of cocaine discovered uh, at sea. Now, whether there was more on board the vessel or, or what the scenario is, we don't know just yet. Uh, I guess everybody's kind of eagerly awaiting that comment from the guard to, to lock in exactly what the situation okay, is. OK, well, that's the first time I've heard that bales were spotted on the water. I mean, it, 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 like east along around like Wexford coast, is it? Yes, well, I'm told uh, the Wexford coast and right down maybe to the to the Waterford coast as well, perhaps. Um but yeah, that's that's what I'm I'm I've been told. That's kind of what the what the rumor mill is. But as I say, none of this is confirmed because Gardaí are kind of tight-lipped on the whole operation at the moment. So, so we don't know where. Do we know where that fishing trawler was coming from? Where it would have collected the cocaine for, or indeed, you know, maybe the nationalities of those on board or anything like that. Well, I believe it had departed uh, Castletown Bear and then made its way up along the Waterford Coast and then up the Wexford Coast. Uh, from what I can gather, uh, one of the men on board seems to have been English, and I think the other one was maybe Eastern European. Um, but as I say, they, in terms of the expertise levels, they weren't up to much in, in terms of being able to try and free themselves and that kind of thing. You know, it was a it was a tricky operation in very very challenging conditions because it was quite windy and there was a big swell in that as well. You know. But as you say, they were being monitored anyway, and that's why the Navy and the drug squad on board told the Coast Guard to to back off for a while, um, and they mm-hmm. did so. They winched the two off, arrested them, took them where, do you know? Uh, well, that's kind of something that, that's up in the air as well. There are some reports stating that they, they've been taken to a guard station in Wexford. Other reports are stating that uh, they may still be on board the naval vessel. So that's kind of unconfirmed at the moment as well. But the guard sources locally here say that the two men have been arrested in any case. And and tell me, clearly, obviously, Wexford wasn't its destination. Where were they trying to go, do you know? That's kind of a, a bit of a mystery at the moment, I suppose. That's kind of one of the things we're looking to get clarified Um as I say, the departed Castletown Bear made their way up the coast. I'm not sure if the intention was to to drop stuff uh, off the coast for collection by another vessel or if they were intending on taking these drugs somewhere else. It, it, that's kind of unclear at the moment. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, I did read something this morning that they were bound for Devon in England. Um, but again, it's, it's, it's very hazy. Who knows where they're going at? Must have been for the European market or whatever. Maybe there was another rendezvous somewhere else. Yeah, it's kind of a, it, there's a lot of theories kind of flying around at the moment, but I guess we won't know the full extent of it until until uh, Connor released that that uh, eagerly anticipated uh, press release. Okay, so no news from the remaining tight lift. But 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 who who is it that saw the bales on uh, at sea or in the Irish Sea? Well, this is uh, this is uh, something that that has been just kind of circulating on the on the rumor mill, really. But yeah. uh, supposedly the. The Air Corps plane may have spotted something suspicious. Now, at the time, it was suggested that look, these it could be something as simple as lobster pots caught up or that. But I know that 
supposedly the Navy were sending out ribs to investigate anyway, and it seems that they may there may have been something suspicious there, you know. Okay, I better let you get back to it and watch this space for details, I suppose, at this stage, yeah? Watch this space is right. <laughs> Good stuff, Padraig. Thanks so much for taking Thanks the call this leave. morning. Do appreciate it. Padraig Byrne, reporter with the Wexford People. Uh, text 0868104106 if there are updates on that, of course, uh, we'll bring it to where of that you can be sure. Um, text 0868104106 as I say, and pick up the phone on 0818104106. So inclement weather down there, even in the past couple of days. Um, be aware again, I know I've been talking about weather and weather and weather, uh, but what's coming uh, tomorrow is Storm Agnes, and you really do need to be prepared for it. I, I don't mean to sound alarmist. At the end of the day, it is weather, and we would have been a notice. Uh, hopefully everybody will be okay and you know won't take risks with regards to driving or what have you. How bad will it actually be? Alan O'Reilly's at Carla Weather. Alan, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you doing? I'm good. Storm Agnes and the newspapers don't miss a trick. They're talking about up to 170 kilometres an hour at some stage tomorrow. Would you concur? Not unless you get on the boat and head out to sea. <laughs> <laughs> good man yourself. So more likely to be what, 100 kilometres? 80? 90? Yeah, we could see some over 100. It is possible to see some gusts over 100. Um, especially along the coast. So obviously the nearer to the coast, the more likely you are to see that. But we could even see some over 100 or up to 100 a little bit further inland. Um, It is going to be a very rough morning. I know we had, depending on where you were this morning, it was a rough morning this morning with some very heavy rain moving through. But tomorrow morning, you know, the problem with Agnes really is the timing, Neil. It's going to come right through the day. And, you know, in Cork in the morning, probably by the time people are getting to just getting into going to work and going to school, it's really going to be getting kind of nasty. Because it's building um, overnight tonight, isn't it? Isn't it really? Yeah, it's still developing in the Atlantic. I mean, the, the Agnes is not even born yet, really. She's no, I'm talking about overnight Agnes. tonight. I'm, you know, I'm seeing maybe... Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. She's going to develop overnight tonight. So by, by tonight, she's really going to start taking shape. So it's going to move in then by probably five or six o'clock in the morning down in Cork you're looking at the rain starting and then the winds are going to pick up and then probably between say 9am and probably 4 to 5pm you're looking at the worst of Storm Agnes so it's right through the working day and the school day unfortunately when we're going to see those strongest winds and the heaviest rain the heaviest rain will be earlier the heaviest rain will probably be between 8 o'clock and midday um, but very, very rough um, morning and afternoon. Yeah, kind of seeing, uh, again, you're the professional, but seeing about 95 to 100 kilometres across um, lunchtime tomorrow. Yeah, that that's it. The winds will probably peak around lunchtime in Cork. Um, and, you know, there is a risk, especially on higher ground and, and exposed areas of over 100 kilometres an hour gusts for a time. And it's going to be very strong winds for a number of hours, probably four to five hours of really strong winds. So it's not it's not going to blow through that quickly, unfortunately. Okay. It, it is going to be it yeah. is going to be quite. And obviously a risk of some, some overtopping on the coast. So stay away from the coast. Yeah. Um, any precautions that people should be taking? Uh, well, secure anything that's loose. Trampolines. There's always going to be a photo of a trampoline landing somebody else's garden or some other road. So if you still have the trampoline out, secure it or take it in. Um, obviously avoid coastal areas during the peak of the storm very heavy rain on top of wet ground as well, risk of some coastal and localised flooding, thankfully high tide is not till I think around 4.30 I think in Cork tomorrow 
So the strongest winds will just have eased by the time high tide is coming. So hopefully that won't cause too many problems. But uh, but generally, look, anything loose, secured, um, and maybe maybe have the batteries charged up, have the phone charged up and that, because we could see some power cuts. But the, the trees are still in full leave means that 100 kilometre an hour wind at this time of the year versus another two months' time, it will have a bigger impact. On yeah, you know, councils will be on standby and uh, ESB crews and all sorts of people like that. Is this, are we heading into this kind of a season, do you think? It's hard to know. I mean, we didn't have a first name storm until August in the last season. Um, but we do have some more spell of unsettled weather coming so we have some more rain coming on Thursday and still very breezy Friday is a lovely looking day this is a bit of an interlude and then there's more wind and rain on Saturday um, with Sunday more of a mixed day so the Atlantic is in control at the moment the weather models really can't make up their minds um, there's a ridge of high pressure trying to come up but it keeps showing in the models and then it disappears um, but look the problem is, as I say, weather is weather, climate is climate, but climate change does make these events that little bit more extreme. It doesn't create the events, but it does make them that little bit more extreme. Mm. And the rainfall especially, I have a lot of farmers message me that I got a good soaking this morning saying the ground is saturated. So my big concern going into the autumn and into the winter now is flooding because we've had a lot of rain, water tables are high, um, so if we do see some very heavy rain over the coming months, flooding is going to become more and more of an issue. One of the most amazing things I've ever seen is a few years ago I was on the Shannon doing one of the trips up and down the Shannon and the amount of flooding right into farmland, it was, it, was, it looked quite devastating, you know, lots of it um, uh, that normally would have been agricultural land, you know? Yeah, and that's the problem. I, I actually took some drone photos of that at the time and it was just, the scale of it, you're right, was just kind of very hard to grasp really and that that is the biggest problem that we're going to see like we escaped very well last autumn and winter with with flooding really i mean there's a few local events but generally we didn't have a wet season but coming out of a wet summer if we go into a wet autumn period that continues into a wet winter unfortunately that is going to become a bigger risk and we still don't have a flood warning system we still don't have it unfortunately but um, we just need to take up precautions and, and the best people to know about flooding are those who have experienced it in the past they know what to keep an eye on OK good man yourself so today is Tuesday but be prepared for Thursday and it, it will pass as you say Friday then will be a lovely day again appreciate the update as always thank you Alan have a great day Bye. Alan O'Reilly with uh, Carlo Weather. So Thursday is the day to be wary of um, because Storm Agnes is coming in and take precautions. That's, that's all you can say. Take precautions. Back after the break. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. There's a story that I didn't get to yesterday. Apologies to Ken Handley for not doing so because it just ran out of time. And it's uh, amazing because we have all sorts of infrastructure being built uh, in the county. A lot of it is road networks and whatever. You see what's going on down in Dunkettle and, and things like that. But when they do that, uh, a lot of it turns up a much um, uh, of our, our past, you know, an awful lot of it. I remember uh, a story uh, some years ago, going back to, I think it was like like 10 years ago, when the NRA were, were doing work up around um, on the Fromoy Road on the M8, and they came across an incredible settlement that was something in the region of maybe 8,000 years BC up around uh, Fromoy, and I actually saw kind of a CGI computer-generated image and video of what that settlement would have looked like in Cork 8,000 years uh, before Christ. And it was, it, was, it was just amazing. And then recently we found that archaeologists have done something similar. Again, they're finding dozens of sites across the county, actually. And a lot of it is attached to motorway work that's been done. And every single one of these is just very, very exciting because it tells us of our past 
not last century, not a thousand years ago, but in some cases, 10,000 years ago, very early settlements. I only mentioned that actually because I'm joined by uh, the man who's leading the research for the Cork County Council, Ken Hanley. Ken, good morning. Uh, good morning, Neil. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm the project archaeologist with, with Transport Infrastructure Ireland. Uh, and so I'm overseeing the, uh, the archaeological works uh, that are ongoing uh, in relation to the M28 uh, Cork Ring of Skitty project. So I thought I might help your listeners if I just put into maybe into context what it is we do and just to just explain the, the, the kind of the journey of archaeological discovery that we're on uh, with this uh, with the with the public's um, M28 uh, project. So when we discover sites, they, they tend to fall into two broad categories either prehistoric sites for which there's no recorded history um, or historic sites and in the early historic period a lot of that recorded history is very scant and even in later periods often that history relates to you know the kind of the, the elite sphere of, of society and so on so the, the kind of the everyday person is often excluded from mm. history so 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 archaeology and its, its, its associated uh, scientific disciplines uh, records the, the material remains of our ancestors and that are not recorded by any other means so without archaeological intervention or investigation, a lot of this information uh, would be lost to time. So there's like 50 archaeologists who are working along that 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 route. Is it um, in and around the Ringiskiddy area, digging and discovering our past? And what have you found? Yeah, well, like the just to explain how the archaeology is managed on on TI projects. Like it's a very managed structure. Obviously, a, a project this size um, has has to follow strict planning um, uh, procedures, and as part of that. Uh, you know the the footprint needed, uh, the land footprint needed to build the road is identified, and there's an environmental impact assessment done. And as part of that, archaeology would be part of the investigation. Mm-hmm. And, and if a scheme is approved, then um, then there's certain uh, mitigations uh, given as part of the approval, uh, including archaeological mitigation. So basically, commitments of what we will do to make sure archaeology is uh, is preserved. Um, and so. Uh, that then leads us to, to, to having a TI-funded uh, project uh, that uh, Cork County Council are delivering. So Cork County Council have commissioned a commercial uh, archaeological company called Rubicon Heritage, who have partnered up with Tivas Ireland Limited. Uh, so they're the uh, archaeologists on the ground uh, for Cork County Council and TI doing the investigations. So to put everything in, in context in terms of this, this, this journey we're on, if we can ask your listeners just to kind of travel in their mind's eye back in time, so about 20,000 BC, uh, this is the, 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 the peak of the last ice age in Ireland. So, you know, the landscape we know is completely different. Uh, you would have had ice sheets uh, uh, in what we, we know of as Cork City today of about maybe 200 metres high and so on. And obviously that then gradually over the next few thousand years began to melt away uh, and recede. It was a completely different landscape. There was no Cork Harbour. It was just a dry valley at that stage with a river running through it. And to the south of it, there was a vast plain. The, the Cork coastline was about uh, over 100 kilometres further south. So a very different landscape. So slowly then, as the ice sheets melt, um, the sea levels begin to rise up. So about maybe between 14,000 uh, BC and 12,000 BC, Ireland becomes an island. Um, it becomes detached from mainland Europe. And then from somewhere between 13,000 BC and 1,000 BC, um, the remaining ice sheets are, are largely gone down from the country. So we're left with a very cold, kind of tundra-like environment. Uh, we have giant Irish deer roaming around, reindeer, brown bear and grey wolf. Um, uh, so the big question is, uh, when did people arrive and first come to Ireland? Now, there were 
there were times, say about 33,000 years ago, where there was kind of a, a period in between the ice ages where we had woolly mammoths and so on. We have no evidence yet, um, uh, although I expect it will come in due course uh, for human settlement that period. But it seems from all the archaeological investigations done across the country that in around 8,000 BC, that's when you get uh, wide, more widespread population uh, around the around the country. Is that so Bronze that's, Age? That's not that's the that's the Stone Age. It's the very early Stone Age. Um, so that that Stone Age period uh, went on for about four thousand years. So we don't know when the people first arrived, but uh, it went on up to about four thousand. Um, BC. Now, from that period, from our M28 project, we only so far have only just one artefact. We have a stone tool that seems to date to roughly around 6,000 BC. Now, that's um, that's not to say that we don't have other uh, archaeology from that period. Oftentimes, you might get a pit cluster or something like that. There's nothing obviously diagnostic, but when you get radiocarbon dates and so on, and that might tell you that they actually, in fact, date to an earlier period. So we're not at that phase of the project yet. But so there might be some more surprise, surprises left in the, in the data. But anyway, in essence, we have thousands and thousands and thousands of years of uh, a hunt-together society where people were nomadic, they moved around with the seasons, they fished, they hunted, they, they foraged, uh, and that way of life continued uh, on and, and could well have continued on for a few more thousand years. But a, a very disruptive change happened around uh, just after 4000 BC, and that was the arrival of agriculture into the country. So with people at that time, what they, they grew, they, they started growing crops, like a, a primitive version of barley and wheat. They would have domesticated um, animals like cattle, sheep and goats, and they would have pigs and so on. And they introduced pottery um, into the country as well. And they had a new way of burying their, their, their dead. Mm. So mm. With the fact that they could uh, domesticate animals, grow crops, meant that there was, uh, they, they were more sedentary. Instead of roaming around, roaming around they could stay in, in, in the one area. See, is that, forgive me for interrupting, but is it around then that we started? to see villages and townlands the uh, no, no not, not townlands but we do we do start to get um, a, a, a type of building that's new to the country and we did have one on the scheme but the important thing just to, to stress with with their ability to farm they could store foods and that generated relative wealth and with that wealth then you get a kind of a stratified society and that led to an elite who built things like the megalithic tombs that we know from Newgrange and the like so that's the type of society but but who were these people often in, for a long time in archaeology there was debate about whether this was an influx of uh, farming knowledge or an influx of farmers um, and a, a DNA uh, study back in 2015 now this is obviously an emerging field and there's new discoveries ongoing, but back then they analysed um, an individual from a med- megalithic tomb in County Down, uh, and that showed that she had very little of the hunter-gatherer DNA of the previous um, population, but she seemed to have a, a, a DNA that uh, more linked to the Near East. Uh, so you're talking Iran, Iraq, um, wow. uh, Cyprus, and so on. Uh, so it seems that seems clear that it was an influx that this 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 elite, this Neolithic elite, these farming elites, that they were an influx of um, people coming up to the uh, up to continental Europe into Ireland. So, for, to a lot, a lot of people, they were our, many people's ancestors then, who came from those far climates, all those oh, thousands of years ago. But, did, what, but I just was reading about the, a farmer's home, believed to be uh, in a number of, maybe many of them in the area, dating back 6,000 years. I was also reading about, um, you know, different artefacts that you did manage to come across, the burial ground, as you mentioned, weapons, kitchen implements, vases, pottery, things like that. Yeah, so that house that you mentioned, that uh, that was found in the, in the townland called Bally Hemiken. If anyone's familiar with the kind of uh, uh, Cargilline, Shambali areas, the Raffine Quarry is close to that. Um, but this is this is one of these 
early farming communities, one of the first farming communities to, to migrate into the Cork area. <clears throat> and, uh, and so what the archaeologists identified in advance of this road project was uh, the foundation remains of, of one of their houses, which is, which is remarkable when you think about it. So it does date to just, just, uh, just under 6,000 um, uh, years ago. Made of what? Yeah. Is it wattle or uh, wood timber, or stone? The evidence or? suggesting that is, is timber posts uh, that it would be made of and obviously it would have had uh, something like wattle walling and uh, perhaps a kind of sod or thatched roof. Uh, obviously those, those remains don't, don't survive, but the, the postal remains do. So what we can do from that is we can extract samples. Uh, we've already done early Neolithic pottery in the foundation remains of the house so we've we've, we've already confirmed that it is uh, one of these early farming communities and we already have a good idea of its uh, date so from the soil samples we can extract the likes of seeds and charcoals it'll tell us what they were growing what they were burning how they managed might have managed woodland and so on so it'll tell us a bit about how they, how they live so and we say you dated it to what Ken? when? Uh, so what they, these would typically date to about uh, uh, 3700 BC so you know 5700 years old like a thousand years older than the pyramids of Giza, I think, are Yeah, exactly. Just to put it in a kind of a broad context around that time frame, yeah. So it's it's quite it's quite ancient. Um now we only have nine this is the ninth confirmed uh early Neolithic house we have in the county as a whole. There is another that was um thought to be Neolithic house, it may well be, but it's it's not confirmed. Um so, you know, we don't have a, a, a huge array of these in Cork, it's just our ninth, but I think nationally we're probably up to about maybe hundred and twenty possibly of these houses found to date. Um so these are our first farmers that arrived in and farming is a is a disruptive uh, in that it changes everything that the, the kind of the magic way of life has ended and we're settled and we, we our population starts to uh, to slowly grow and are there sites like this do you think dotted all over the county yeah, like we we found um, we found uh, early Neolithic house. Like sorry, I I should have mentioned that those uh, nine early Neolithic houses that we have in the county all were found in advance of National Road Project. Yeah, yeah. Um, so this is the this is the side benefit. Uh, not like Fromoy is about eight thousand BC, isn't it? Uh, no, no. The, the, these houses were dated the the, the, the one from my um, something like ten thousand years ago. I thought no. Um. So, sorry about the phone. The, um, yeah. uh, that was a, a Mesolithic uh, site that was found. There was some pits and so on and some uh, stone tools. And that was part of the earlier uh, nomadic uh, society that we would have had before the advent of, uh, of agriculture. Hunter-gatherers, that's where we came from, hunter-gatherers. How long will you be able to stay on site? And will you be able to protect any of it? Will any of it be ever seen? Or, or what happens next? The, uh, well, it's a very managed process. The, um, there's, two, there's two principal means of uh, preservation for archaeology. There's preservation in situ, whereby something can be left and avoided, or there's preservation by uh, record, where a site is fully archaeologically excavated and the, uh, and the archaeology is removed from the ground, but the knowledge gained from that, the record of that site, is fully published and put on public record, so it's, it's preserved by that manner. And that's, what's, um, that's the procedure agreed with the... Uh, with the uh, National Management Service for all our, our uh, project works. All our project works and, and schemes like this are done under ministerial uh, direction. And rightly um, so, and rightly so. Uh, so. And all the fines, so the, the information is published, the fines will be uh, deposited with the uh, National Museum of Ireland so that the public record then exists. Um, and, you know, the, the learning outcome is tremendous because obviously 
project after project we're just kind of continuously building to the, adding to the data set as we go on uh, and some of the theories um, uh, you know change over time in terms of our understanding of the of the archaeology okay ju- ju- just finally I, I think you also came across cremation a cremation site did you where where even there was some some offerings that were left at the cremation site, is that a fact? Yes, yeah, yeah. So the uh, in the, the the next kind of big disruptive change in Ireland uh, would have been the arrival of, of uh, metalworking. Uh, so that started around uh, just say about two thousand five hundred or thereabouts. Uh, BC. Um, so with metal, obviously you could you had better tools, better weapons, and you can increase uh, trade. Um, so we did get um, at uh, at one of our sites, um, Carglion Middle, at the town under Carglion Middle. We found. A kind of a, what we call a flat cemetery, a cemetery of uh, cremation burials, um, and the the centre one seemed to be a cremation uh, in a stone uh, line grave or a kiss burial, as we call it, and there were there were a few uh, other cremation burials around us, and one of them uh, appeared to be uh, buried in um, the uh, the cremated remains were buried uh, with a uh, an urn, and it seems to be an associated food vessel with it. Wow! So our uh, forefathers, going back thousands of years, didn't bury; they cremated. Exactly. Yeah. So this is one of the kind of the new changes that came in with the, the use of metal. We have a new form of pottery, kind of beaker pottery came in with it. We have a new type of burial. It's no longer in these big communal burials. They're individual uh, burials and obviously the advent of, uh, of metal. Uh, but we also, not only do we have the cremation, uh, so we, we have where these people uh, were buried, but we also have a couple of instances where we, they live. We found two houses that we, one we were pretty sure is, is Bronze Age and, and the other we're very happy is Bronze Age. Um, so we have, we have where they lived, but we also have sites like Burnt Mounds and these are sites where that typically date to the Bronze Age where they would have um, uh, heated water by heating stones in a, in a, in a hearth and fire, uh, putting those heated stones into the trough of water and that water would heat up and they could use it for all manner of things including cooking, um, bathing and so on. Um, so we have uh, several examples of those uh, from the project as well. So the Bronze Age is, is well represented from the, from the project. But another interesting thing about the, the advent of uh, metal is that 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 similar DNA ancient DNA study in 2015 also looked at three individuals um, uh, that were early Bronze Age in date. So these were people who kind of were brought in um, uh, metalworking, but they were from uh, a burial that also contained boot vessels. So it's a similar scenario mm-hmm. to what we have, and the DNA from that suggests that their DNA uh, more closely uh, matched the Pontic Steppe. So that's kind of southern Siberia. So well, when you say DNA, uh, so you're saying, did, did you discover human remains uh, of no, some th- sort? This is not a study from our project. I'm just saying it's a, it's a, a kind of a, a related uh, ancient DNA study that was done in 2015 on uh, individuals that were early Bronze Age in date as well, similar to the date of our uh, burials. And the, the ancient DNA analysis of those identified their DNA to come from uh, roughly around the southern Siberia area, so Moldova, Bulgaria, Ukraine, Russia, that kind of that kind of area. Isn't so, it astonishing they would travel so far? That's seriously nomadic, isn't it? Uh, no, it is, and so like, there would have been there would have been waves and movements of people, you know, throughout the continental Europe uh, throughout prehistory. Um, so, so we do have individuals uh, okay. from okay. that period as well. But but you would never discover human remains that would be that old. Clearly, I mean, it might sound like a naive question. 
Oh no, so you know we have we have those that cremation day day from the same well roughly in the same period, and we also have um, two sites. So we have uh, ring ditches or ring barrows. These are another kind of burial form uh, where uh, kind of a, a circular shallow ditch would be dug, and the earth would be mounded up in the middle, and the burial could be placed either under or on top of that. So we, we seem to have two of those sites. So we have we have sites where people in the Bronze Age in Cork were being buried, and we have evidence of that from the project. Amazing. Continued success with it. It's absolutely amazing to listen to you talk about what's beneath our feet from all those thousands and thousands of years ago uh, at the moment down around the Ring of Skiddy Cargilline area. Appreciate you taking the call, Ken. Much obliged as always. You're very welcome. Text 0868 Ken Hanley is leading that research. Um, it's just amazing, isn't it? Uh, you talk about nomadic. That was serious nomadic. And I suppose to some extent it tells us uh, not all of us, because there would have been migration for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, but we all came from somewhere. We all came from somewhere else. Now, the Neil Prenderville Show, Red FM. We talk about weather or wind on the way or heavy rain and stuff like that with Storm Agnes. There's some research out this morning that talks about the uh, most popular sounds to fall asleep to. And by all accounts, people are voting rain as the most popular sound to fall asleep to. They asked a lot of different questions in there. They also asked people what was their most soothing sound. It's very interesting the response to it. The most relaxing sound, 40% of people surveyed, said was the sound of sizzling bacon, which is quite interesting, isn't it? Uh, But anyway, so sizzling bacon, the most relaxing sound, and the sound of rain um, to fall asleep to. Um, Sometimes people use an app or recordings of rain uh, oh, there's like um, kind of a babbling brook or, you know, sounds like that, but apparently rain, which is all, all very well. Um, you know, uh, I, I, I do know from experience, say, down in our, our house in, in Port McGee, where we have, uh, it's, it's a dormer bungalow. So the bedroom is actually where the ceiling would, or the attic would be, you know. So they are, you're very close to the weather when you're up there. And some of the wind and the rain can be so torrential. You actually think that the roof is going to come off. Uh, the house. It's incredible, the power of wind and rain. But apparently, uh, raindrops, the most popular one to fall asleep to. There's a load of different surveys making the papers today. You know, for some people who work from home and others work in the office, so these two different surveys are kind of interlinked because one of it has to do with um, the most foulest or most unacceptable smells in the workplace. Um, and you think it would have something to do with, um, you know, <laughs> body movements. Want of a better term, but apparently it doesn't. It has boiled eggs and smoked mackerel are the two of the worst foods to eat in the office by virtue of the smell of them. The most annoying things, apparently fruit and chocolates and biscuits are the most acceptable desk snacks, but sitting next to somebody with boiled eggs or scrambled eggs or smoked mackerel sandwiches are a no-no. And then the other one, just to stay with working, you flip to people who work from home, um, and whether you realise it or not, you are munching about eight 800 extra calories a day apparently by working from home Uh, you're doing an awful lot less exercise so a lot of that calorie intake is turning into poundage and fat and you're putting on a bit of timber apparently but working from home you might have a tendency to boost or to boast about your short commute from your bedroom to where your workplace but apparently it's the trips to the biscuit tin or the trips to the fridge that are getting you every time. So it's not doing any wonders for the waistline. It found that employees consume about 800 extra calories. And unfortunately, on top of that, you're walking 3,500 fewer steps on average every day if you're working remotely from home. But I would imagine it is very true because I'd say if I was working from home, 
I would have a propensity and the habit of eating a little bit more um, and doing it right across the day, grazing and gra- And you wouldn't count those calories then as being proper meals on top of it. Actually, we did some very good, interesting research that I want to come back to at some stage. Hopefully I get it today. Uh, if not, I'll certainly do it tomorrow. It was, I was posing the question online recently, what's Ireland's favourite homemade dinner? And I wasn't talking about takeouts now, and I wasn't talking about getting in curry or, you know, getting in, um, you know, maybe pizza delivered to the room. I'm talking about the stuff that's actually made in the home. So we posted that online. Um, you know, for me, it would be, say, for instance, a good shepherd's pie, a little bit of Worcester sauce thrown into it, or a fish pie, um, beautifully made, things like that. I mean, everybody likes a Sunday roast, I get that. But what's the most popular and most cooked, home-cooked dinner that people cook most themselves, either for themselves or for the family? Very interesting response to that. All that to come. Calls on the way. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. Big response from yesterday's programme from people who care for their own children and are their full-time carers. So more on that. But from this morning, it was mentioning a massive drop in figures for the Late Late Show. The Late Late Show will continue to lose its audience as long as the format is still conversational. Uh, That's an interesting text. Uh, For God's sake, Neil, Patrick Keelty's first show had record viewers, so of course it's going to drop back down to normal levels. Yes, the guests aren't that exciting so far, but with the writer's strike, he isn't going to get massive stars just yet. He's got to settle in. The Late Late Show never regularly had huge stars anyway. And if they did, people would be complaining about how much it costs to bring them in. And the Graham Norton has done the interview and interviewed them the stars much better. show is still entertaining, but I don't think they should drop the more real-life non-celebrity stories. And they were always a very important part of the show, says Gillian. Uh, the, the crux of that text is saying, give it time. Um, on me saying that uh, uh, media is in for more and more challenges going forward, that it's really all about clicks and shares and profits. Uh, Texter says, journalism is dead, as we have seen over the past three years. The government now tells the media what to say and tells the media what to write. Reminds you of history repeating itself with Joseph Goebbels, the chief propagandist for the National Party, uh, as in the Nazis. Uh, Neil, I'm nodding my head in agreement with van drivers being deemed the rudest and most aggressive drivers. I have always experienced that on the road. Is anger management a requirement for van drivers? Well, that's referencing a survey done in the UK that um, I haven't got it right in front of me, but it came out that van drivers are deemed to be the most rude and most aggressive, followed by Land Rover drivers, weirdly. And thirdly, wouldn't you know it, BMW drivers. Uh, Don't mind the statistics. It's just lies, damn lies and statistics. White vans and Audis. It used to be Volkswagen Golfs, remember? Um... Plus SUVs driven by so-called soccer mums, says Paul. (laughs) Well, the SUVs with the soccer mums don't make the top ten. Morning on influencers, or indeed a college course for influencers. Nothing I hate more than influencers who use their kids for content. It's disgraceful, carry on. So if the proposed influencer course was used to contain a model to educate people on the dangers of this, then it can only be a good thing. I see influencers putting all sorts of videos of very young children online, which, as we all know, is there forever and could be used against children in school down the line. On the drug bust in Wexford, the only reason it was found is because the boat got into trouble. Same with the big bust in West Cork years ago. There must be boats coming in successfully all of the time. 
this find will make a blind bit of difference to this illegal activity. So thank you for that. There are lots more. Keep them coming. Text 86 106 and we'll do some of the text from yesterday as well. Uh, I did get an update, incidentally, from the HSC with regards to the planned developments regarding the paediatric services um, at the Mercy Hospital and I will update you on that one as well but something that I didn't get to yesterday because it just got away from me was the car free day kind of a car free day on Leaside on Saturday. Now I did mention that the Lord Mayor said that it was a huge success and that all of the traders were happy and that the overall message was that we should continue to do more of it and ultimately make Cork City Centre pedestrianised. Um, good luck to the businesses, I would say, if that ever happens. But what do I know? Uh, I want to check with Wyan Stansfield, who's got Pinocchio's Toy Shop and a regular contributor to the programme. He was open on Saturday. Wyan, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Well, I was reading yesterday that um, some businesses were claiming mm-hmm. to be up to 40% down in turnover and footfall on Saturday. Would you say that's an accurate figure? Well, certainly from our point of view, we were about 30% down. Now, it's a little hard to judge because when I checked last year's weather on what would have been the equivalent Saturday, which I think was the 22nd or something like that, um, the weather was dry. That being said, you know, cars, more people come in in cars um, than anything else. And we were down 30%. And we were definitely down in that we were being up consistently for the month. Oh, well, if you were oh, constantly we were up on Saturday. any given Saturday and you were down 30% on Saturday, yeah. last, then mean, it, it so goes to show... It was yeah. definitely down. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, is it a good idea? Ultimately, if you're down well, 30%, it's not. In the long... Well, in the long run, if the, if the other infrastructure is there, it possibly is. But I still... My argument has always been that the majority of customers who shop in the city centre are not living in Cork. They're living outside Cork. And not necessarily on an easy commuter bus route or a cycle route, you know. Um, oh, they're further afield than, say, the suburbs. further afield than the suburbs, you know. Um, and even in the suburbs, you know, are you seriously going to take your, your two or three children with you on two bicycles, um, buses, etc.? you know, rather than take the car? I, I mean, I, I, in the long term, I do think that less cars in the city centre... Is uh, is the thing to have? I mean, it, it, but why would it why would it matter? Cars, why do we have to be going in that direction? If say in the next five or ten years there are going to be electric cars, what's the problem then? Well, this is the thing. I mean, you know, theoretically the emissions are getting less and less with the cars. Yeah, so it's, it's actually should be declining. More and more people are electric and hybrid now. Yes, I would think so. I mean, we drive hybrid, um, as in plug-in, and I mean we don't use well, I use petrol. I'd say. God, once a week, maybe mm-hmm. my commute is less. My commute is considerably less than the battery, so um, so generally it's battery. Um, you know, and, s- I, and a lot of people are like that now. They say buses ran on time on Saturday. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> I'm sure they did. Um, there was there was nobody in town, so you know, I mean, it was very quiet in the afternoon. I mean, you know, like we 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 noticed it being quiet. Um. And yes, buses will run on time. But the trouble is that a lot, again, a lot of people are not, the people who, who use the buses are city people. They're not supporting the city centre necessarily. You know, they're, I mean, particularly on a rainy day when they have to stand at a bus stop and, you know, as against drive into a car park, 
and pay and pay for the privilege when they don't have to do so in in Wilton or yeah. Bishopstown and or Ballyvalan or Douglas exactly. or Will or um Donna Mahan. Yeah, yeah. And I mean Mahan by all accounts was packed on Saturday. I mean absolutely jammed with people. George Patterson said by email to me, um, if you if you look at Cork City, he says, 23 years ago when I arrived, Cork was thriving, um, that while the equivalent in England English towns were falling into careless, empty shells. We need to be able to put heavy shopping in the car. We need to be able to drop Nan off in the city to have a look around, or your ma'am for that matter, and pick her up again. We don't want to buy a heavy item um, and uh, find that we have to go to the park and ride with it. Uh, people who want to drive in with their kids want the privacy of their cars, not bundling into a bus soaking wet uh, with all of their shopping with them. Um, it, it kind of, I, I kind of get what he's saying, George really. Is right. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, George is right. I mean, I, I mean, the funny thing is, Cork. If I, having spoken to some of our um, agents and sales guys, Cork is doing much better than most other places in the country. You know, in general, I mean, we're Cork is, despite empty shops and what people and the perception of um, of, of people behaving badly, etc. In reality, we're we're actually doing quite well. And I mean, the fact that we were up so far for the month is just probably goes to, for, from my point of view, just goes to prove it. Well, he, you know, he, he court, talks court about, he's also talking about the calibre of retail changing in the city and Patrick Street. He says, I have also noticed that vape and cheap phone accessory oh. shops are polluting our streets. That's a good description, polluting so, our streets. Yeah, so <clears throat> I don't think everything is as rosy in the garden as City Hall or maybe even, for instance, um, uh, the, I, I, the, the, the Lord Mayor is suggesting. No, I don't think they are. I, I think I think it still struggles. It is, as I say, I think it is doing better than than many other cities are, proportionally. I think uh, it's certainly it's certainly better than Dublin, anyway. But we're still a long way from, you know, there's still an awful lot of empty retail on Patrick Street, and I know that is that isn't it isn't unique to Ireland. I mean, my wife is Dutch, and if we go to Holland, there's plenty of empty retail space, pretty much everywhere you go in Holland. Um, it's it's this this the retail thing is not that's not any it's not um that's not an Irish problem that's a that's a general retail problem across the continent wherever I think probably somewhere like France is one of the few places where you tend to get um, retailers staying but that's partly because their law says you know if you're a patisserie in France in a village you can't open a phone shop in it yeah if you go bust the next guy's going to be opening a patisserie yeah that's what. Yeah. That's what the shop is there for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, I suppose, I suppose like rent and rates don't help either, do they? Oh no! I mean, the, the rents, the rents in Ireland are still, you know, if I compare them, our rent is six times what we paid when we opened the shop. How long ago? Uh, well, admittedly, thirty years ago, but but nevertheless, you know, six times as a proportion, it's gone up and up and up. And when when I when we opened, you know, if you if you were working for oh whoever um, gentlemen's quarters and you decided. Jesus, I'd like to go out on my own. You know, I'm, I'm sure I could do that. You could find a small place for, for a very cheap rent and you could try it. <laughs> you wouldn't try it now. Not in the city you know? centre anyway. No, okay. not okay. at all. Okay, let no. me talk to Daw. Appreciate wine as always uh, from Pinocchio's on Paul Street. Daw, good morning. Now, I was just making my point there on the, on the Facebook thing there, but um, I'm just, my point is that... Uh, the likes of my mother now, like, and the likes of other elderly people there. Um, my mother loves going to town on a Saturday morning, like, mm. and um, 
she likes to choose uh, a member of the family then afterwards to go in and collect her like and it's impossible not to do it you know mm. have you tried to do it you can't do it now like you're like to, there is a restriction there that you can't drive into Patrick Street like you can't do it like you know what I mean yeah well that's the three to six in the afternoon one isn't it well, with the closure, with the closure there, no one's further like that caused fierce difficulty for my mother to be collected. She couldn't be collected. She couldn't go to town. Like. So that was the first time in a long time because of this that your ma'am couldn't go into town? That's correct, John. That's correct, like. Yeah, yeah. And I, 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 also, I also actually presume that there's other elderly people out there in the same, in the same predicament, like that. That they just couldn't go. And does she still enjoy go to going into town? I mean, it's she loves, usually. loves town, like. Yeah, she loves it. Loves it, like loves it. That's that. That is that is a weekly thing. Like she likes to get out of the house. I know. And does she town. ever tell you about where she goes and what she does? Well, so she goes into the the old shopping town, done stores and all that, like, and she does all of the looking around, like, you know what I mean? And she enjoys it, like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Doing panna, as they used to call it. Doing panna. Don't don't. That's it, that's it. Yeah, yeah. So if this were to become the norm, where you could only use the bridges to go from south side to north side, but not use any of the streets, it would be very, very detrimental to people who have their usual habits and like to do what your mam likes to do. Big time, big time, night. Appreciate that, Daw. Much obliged. Text 0868 A lot of people texting on that. It's just a green agenda bull all about slowly taking away people's freedoms. Um, public transport should be the answer uh, to reduce emissions in the city. But you cannot rely on public transport in Cork. When the correct infrastructure is in place at an affordable cost, I would use it. We're so far behind. They need to improve the services. They're outdated behind the growth of our population. That's an interesting point from Michael, of course, because we only have the one park and ride, and that's under-marketed and under-promoted, and not in the most ideal location, and there's only the one of them. Jonathan says, the same aegis making these decisions will wonder why shops and restaurants in the city will be closing. I went into the city the other night for dinner and couldn't even find a parking space near where we were going. A lot of the traffic flow has been altered, and car parking spaces have all been sacrificed for larger footpaths. I ended up instead heading to Douglas. No issues parking there, and we ate in a Douglas restaurant. Uh, one final one for now. So Cork wants to have a car-free day by make, making it harder for those who need to drive and go to work, forcing people to use the already overused, under-efficient public transport. The place was mayhem. Um, they would want to make, it would just makes me want to avoid the city and never visit it. Maybe they should focus on proving public transport for people to encourage them to use it rather than publicity stunts with silly days like this. Dave says, I live in Mallow. I work on the south side of Cork City. It will make it just a lot more awkward and longer for me to get to work. The city is a shambles. The traffic is at least, is the least of their worries. Keep those coming. Text 0868 Calls on the way. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818 Red FM. i go back to calls in a couple of minutes. Forgive me if you don't mind, but some of the texts are absolutely fantastic. And as hard as I might try to find positive ones with regards to last Saturday, 
they're very few and far between. I can't see any just yet. People will just stay out of the city, let all the shops feel it, and then they won't want to do it again. Chris says, the good vibes are gone from our city for the last few years. Now it's just vape and fast food shops and protesters and coffee shops and homeless people. It's a kip, in my opinion, says he. Uh, It's the people and not the traffic that need to be sorted out, as in the people in the city, is it? Um, Nicole says it's one way to turn it into a ghost town. And Jason says, if it's free to get buses, fair enough. But other than that, I'd stay away. Interesting point made by Wyan that an awful lot of people who come into Cork City, particularly, say, on a Saturday, aren't from the suburbs. They're coming from much further afield. I did see a text there from somebody who says every Saturday uh, she travels from Limerick. Here it is. It'll stop people from coming into the city centre. I come from Limerick. I park in Merchant's Quay. I go back to my car with full bags. I can't do that if I park and ride. So in future, I will stay out of Cork City and go to Maham Point. And she comes from Limerick, shops all over the city, parks and merchants. You wouldn't be able to do that because you wouldn't be able to get the car into the car park. Uh, Just one or two more. Stem the crime rate and get some businesses open. That might help. And Martin says they'd want to reduce car parking centre prices. um, Even at the weekends, if they had two or three hours free to shop, it's too expensive. Um, When you can park free at shopping centres in the suburbs. Uh, Jim says, I hope that people in the future will shop in Maham Point, Ballincollig, Ballyvalan, Blackpool and Douglas. The city's gone to the dogs. No one in their right mind would go in there. Val says, I'm not bothering with the city. There's nothing there, only sports shops. Uh, stop charging crazy rental uh, for retail and help the homeless. Clean up the city and then at least we might feel safe enough to go into town. One final one, McKieran says, the amount of footfall in the city is already in decline for years. It's It's had a huge impact on businesses based in the city centre and many of them are not able to continue to do business. This can be clearly seen with all of the empty units on Patrick Street and the streets off it. If you want to continue this trend, then make travel around the city centre more difficult for people who have to travel to get in there. It's counterintuitive. It will ultimately lead to the city centre becoming a ghost town if they follow this narrative. Very interesting text. Let's see if John Byrne has any thoughts on those texts. John, good morning. Good morning, Neil. No, they are quite negative, um, but that's all I've got to work with. Yeah, well, I was in town on Saturday morning uh, before the, the started, and I see the streets being blocked off because uh, people came off of uh, Christian Bridge and tried to come down by the Opera House and didn't realise there was a guy on point duty there and he was telling the street was blocked. So then you heard the rest of the cars backing up behind them because they were trying to get down to the car park. So you had a bit of a... Uh, a, a bunch up there with that for, for quite a while. Even that sounds unnatural to me that you have people on a Saturday telling motorists it's closed, it's blocked. You can't, yeah. like, like yeah. as if there had been some sort of a, an accident or a flooding or a disaster. Oh, yeah, or an emergency inside the city. Yeah. Correct, yeah. An, yeah. correct, an yeah. emergency, correct. Now I, now, I, now I believe there was a right to muzzle by the, by the bus station. But, but that I didn't witness, but I, I heard that there was a chaos below there, but that I can't confirm. But however, what, what I found very interesting is that we had a bit at work as to the wording of uh, how this was going to be done after the, after the event. And, and uh, the three of us were correct that it was going to be a thundering success, mm-hmm. uh, either way, whatever way it went. You know, so I think the, the the script was written before they even uh, set out on it. You know, Lord Mayor says, but, and I have uh, great time for the Lord Mayor. Don't get me wrong; he's an, I think he's a fabulous yeah. guy. He says the overall message I'm getting is that we should continue working towards pedestrianisation. <laughs> yeah, but tell me now, 
Is, no, is that's that somebody with six bags of shopping. <laughs> yeah, is that the same law mayor now that does a, a business on walking tours? He does, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that it would suit him down to the ground, all right, I suppose, would it? Uh, I, I'm not so sure that that's a, a fair comparison, though, you know, I mean... Um, ah, yeah, but hold on, hold on a while now. We had another man on this running a business who told us to down 30% and that, that uh, has to make his living out of it. The Lord Mayor is picking up 100 grand for the year and he's still doing his walking tour. So, like, uh, you you couldn't but say the Lord Mayor had a vested interest in getting people... Well, John, I have to tell you, I'm absolutely delighted and very proud of the Lord Mayor for the walking tours that he does because he keeps our history and our culture and those that went before us alive. Come on, you know that. Well, well, yeah, yeah, but hold on a while now. If we keep on the way we're going, there won't be much culture to uh, to, to be talking about. Well, it's because the the, the city the city is has gone downhill, uh, something savage in a very short time. All the shots of inside and parts of the city is opening vomitoriums. Vomitoriums. What are they? Yeah, it has gone that rough. That's what the Romans used to have long ago when they overate that they could get sick and, uh, and twist it washed away. Were you talking about that we have too many pubs or restaurants or fast food joints? No. Is it? I, I'm talking about people, many people urinating and defecating on the streets. Well, that could be easily solved if they gave more public toilets. Simple. But you listen, we never had a public toilet. Yes, we this did. Is the problem. Yes, we're the, we we're the second. We're the second city. We, we had a city of culture. We were the city of culture across Europe, and we didn't have a public toilet for for visitors coming. Mm. So what interest would the, the, does the council have in actually promoting our, our city? And now they're telling the people, don't drive into Cork, you're not welcome. Well, it's it's not quite that uh, far be it for me to want to defend the decision. It's use, oh, yeah, the, par- what, use the park and ride, walk yeah, or cycle or way, get a taxi. I don't hold, know. hold on a while now. We were told, we were told when they treat the six that you couldn't go down Patrick Street. That's still there. So that's, that's escalated into one day. We've now heard the wording this morning that it was such a success that we might continue it. Uh, the so Labour Party the, rep says you? one day in isolation is not enough to give any kind of data. This must be a continuous process. process. And yeah. the Green Party have said town was as busy, busy as ever. Buses were running on time. There were no restrictions on accessing car parks or blue badge mm. spaces. Mm. And I suppose we could all buy our bicycles from, from uh, what you call it, Mr. From one of these companies. From who? Yeah. Me and Ryan are one of these companies. <laughs> no. uh, no, listen, listen, this, 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 this is a complete uh, cock-up. Let me, get, let, me, let me get some more calls that, on this one. Yeah, and, go, but yeah. sure, the, and what all that's going to happen is that the car park prices are going to go up and the price of the park and ride is going to go up because there's going to be a footfall. You need at least three park and rides. There needs to be a park and ride out uh, by the Lee Fields. There needs to be another park and ride somewhere over in the east. And there needs to be something then north of the river to bring people into the city. It's pointless just yeah. having one in the Black Ash. It doesn't serve an awful lot of people who are in the other well, three the, extremities. The, the, the only way this will be solved is the businesses who have lost money uh, with this carry-on is to deduct what they've lost from the rates that they're paying to the city council and bring it to court and let it end up in court and, and, get, and get a judicial review on okay, it. OK, well, maybe businesses were happy. I'd love to hear from them. They don't necessarily have to come on the air, but I would encourage them to text and let me know what they thought I'm, of Tuesday. And I would too. OK, text 0868 Thank you, John. James, good morning. Morning. I, I have an article in front of me here. I think it's associated with what you have to say from the UK. Is that right? 
Yeah, well, if, I, if, you, if you want to see the long-term effect of decentralising, if you want to call it, a place called Dudley in the West Midlands, back in the 90s, I think, built a huge shopping centre, one of the biggest in the UK, and they turned a, town, a city of 320,000 people into tumbleweed. And did that happen because of the building of this huge, big shopping mall? It sucked it, it, sucked it out completely. They've, gone, they've extended a few times since, but they've stopped extension now on it because they're not going to let it go any further because the, the city has gone so derelict, dangerous, run down. It is, really is like a derelict city. I've been through it and you wouldn't believe it. And that's the, that's the result of... That was even before this green agenda and traffic and all the rest of it. What happened, slowly but surely, all of the traditional shops or the profitable shops in the city centre just closed? Moved out, yeah. Left with pookies, chip shops, barbers, that was it. Fancy goods, that was it. And it's not just there, the Trafford Centre in Manchester is the same, which I see there's no shops in the general vicinity of of that, of any significance any significance. I mean... You're, They're you're very convenient, is, though, um, say, for instance, no, if you're making a comparison to Maham Point. That's the whole point of them. You can go into, say, the Trafford Centre or Murray Hill, and you can go in there in the morning, you can stay for the day, watch a movie, your car is parked free, you don't get wet, you can doll around all day, and there's no charge. So, like, it will suck all the centre out, it will, without a doubt. And as, as you see now, the centre will finish up with chip shops and bookies and fast food. Phone and shops or charity shops or betting shops. Or, that's all. Yeah. That's all that would be left. Like, look, the walk down path. Sports shop. A lot of sports shops. shops are empty at the moment. Yeah. See how many for sale and to let signs are in Patrick Street mm. at the moment. Sorry. Mm. So, so an enormous amount. Okay, but the, okay. So there's two different aspects here. One is the the amount of um, people who are now shopping in in the suburbs in in areas like Maham Point, which is ideal for mm. many people, free parking and all that kind of thing. But the other is the is the business of ch- climate change and pollution. You know, trying to reduce carbon emissions from all the vehicles that they say, which which I don't understand. If more and more people are now driving electric cars and hybrids, and even more in five or ten years, well, twenty thirty, there'll be everyone will be buying and driving electric cars. So why do we even need this if there are no if there's but, going to be no emissions? But Nigel, we can't manage without carbon dioxide in the air. There's no plants to grow. We need a percentage of carbon dioxide in the air. We can't do zero carbon. Well, we could because the planet, um, the planet well, we could actually because the planet survived very well hundreds of years ago before the Industrial Revolution, thank you very much, without pollution from exhaust. Plants need carbon. Plants need carbon. They need an element of carbon to survive. Like that's, that's pretty obvious and, and not well known. I mean, a million euros a day has been spent on cycleways and walkways. Ah, well, I mean, I, mean, I think, I think, I think the, the, pedestrian, the, the pedestrianisation and the, and the width of the footpaths is a total joke. I mean, I read an article the other day now that up in McCurtain Street, more and more cars are being fined because they're literally now parking upon those extra wide footpaths. They're being fined for the privilege of it. Like, are people, why do we need such wide footpaths? Is it because people are getting bigger or what? No, we need wide footpaths to narrow the room for traffic. But we're going to have nobody in the city walking upon the footpaths the way things are going. Hence, that's, that's a, it, it, it solves itself that way. Yeah, you won't need it. But that's the idea. The idea is, as Keegan in Dublin said and Neiman Ryan said, we need to aggressively stop cars and motor vehicles going into the city centres. Aggressively stop them. Well, that's the best thing I've heard in a long time. You were saying that we need cars polluting the atmosphere so the trees can grow and the planet can survive. 
That's a good one. Well, the, the, it's a fact. Like, the, I, I'm, I'm, maybe I'm totally wrong. I don't know, but we need an element of we can't survive on zero carbon. But you're saying we can't survive without pollution. Well, that's where the carbon comes from. Okay. Plants, at, the, at that okay. rate, the plants are nearly able to absorb the pollution themselves. Like, I mean, when you cement someplace, that has no soakage left. It has no grass grown, whatever. That doesn't work. Like, I mean, they did the no-grow May. Was it no-grow, no-more no May? Was yeah. that it? Yeah. And they finished up with, with vermin in the in the grass. And yet they're killing, they're killing millions of bees in Florida to make avocado. Oh yeah, don't even start with that. Absolutely. Well, okay. I don't know where this is going. I think I'm going nuts sometimes. Let me get some more calls. You're not. You're not going nuts. I'm always interested in what people have to say. Right up, though, when you look at it, I'm not a theorist or anything like that. But this is plain science. You know, just plain science. You're not a climate I mean, denier, no. No, 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 I think it's all been overdone, all right. But I, I know we have to be kind to the climate. We weren't. It's probably uh, way behind the time. i tell you one thing that I do know. Balance. There are millions of species upon this planet, um, but yet there's only one species of all the millions of species on the planet that's actually doing irreparable damage, and that's mankind. We're just, we're brutal. We really absolutely, are brutal. Absolutely. And we're only sharing this planet with all the other species, you know. We don't exclusively own the Earth. Absolutely not. And we're only here on a time lag of 70, 60, 80 years. That's it. Let me, get some more, let me get some more calls. Have a good one. Appreciate it. Karen, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? I'm good. Uh, interesting chat there. He says history shows that when you make... Well, I think, I think he was talking more about putting in huge, big, massive Maham Point shopping centres and arcades like that in shopping malls. It just kills cities. But anyway, go ahead yourself. Um, Neil, I'm just mystified at this whole thing. I mean, from what I understand, none of the retailers want this and none of us want it. I mean, we're living in a wet climate with a totally unreliable bus system and they want us to stop bringing cars into the city centre. And one of our, like, probably our only nice, well, one of our main nice places left is the English market. If you try and carry your food out to the English market and go to a bus stop in the rain and wait for a bus, maybe 40 minutes, and then the bus is full and then try and get out... I just don't understand it. Like, they're pushing people out to the suburbs the whole time, out to shopping centres. But are the buses already, that unreliable, in all fairness, though? Uh, but really, like, oh, are they? Oh, my God, unbelievable. Like, you would need to allow yourself an extra 40 minutes to try and get a bus. And then, Neil, it's lashing rain. You're trying to hold shopping bags. I mean, it's completely senseless. But, it, but just look like, at that. I mean, because the other side of the argument would say that if you didn't have car traffic right and um, a lot yeah. of the time one person in the car or the SUV and there was less of it in the city where everything gets choked up uh, and therefore there'd be less going in and out of the suburbs if there was less city traffic then the buses would move freely and on time mm. I, Well Neil they're doing a good job of it because already it's virtually impossible to find a parking space and the at least the parking charges in the car park are just insane. But like, what about all the people like your your earlier person there that message to say, they travel from outside of Cork. They want to go to markets and centres. They want to go to shops. Towns don't have. Like, this is a blood flow that comes into our city constantly. They're going to shut all that. They're not going to bother coming into the city if they can't bring their cars in with them. I mean, you just walk down Patrick Street. It's an absolute disgrace, the state of the place. There's hardly a nice shop left to survive. It's chippers, it's barbers, it's coffee shops. You go to another city, and like recently we were in Valencia, the tram system. Not understanding a city like that where you reduce traffic. But in Cork, I mean, 
they're destroying the whole system. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Which oh, be, we exactly. need. We we need, and we will get some kind of a tram system. But I don't know that the tram system would work in tandem with the amount of car and van traffic that we have at the moment. You, yeah. you, you couldn't have both. You know, may, may, maybe you well, could. I'm sure, I know. You know, I'm sure that's another argument. But I mean, they've made such a mess of it. Like down by the bus office now, they've brought the whole area out so wide that two buses can't pass each other. McCurtain Street, they've relocated the air coaches down by the train station. You go down McCurtain Street, there's an issue if there's two buses there together. Like, when is it all going to stop? Like, when is City Council going to even meet with retailers who they're fleecing on rates and start saying, OK, we're going to listen to you. Well, like, are you a retailer board. or were you a retailer in the city or working? I was in the- working in the city centre for a long time, yeah. But, but not. You know, it's, but it's, so, it's do you still do you still frequent it, or is it a different city to when you much worked? Much less. There? Much less. I mean, I'm not working in the city any longer. But there was a time you'd go in weekly to the shopping, you know, to town and do your bit of shopping. It was a pleasure to go in there. They're destroying the city centre. I mean, there's very little appealing left in Cork, and I just feel we have no voice. And this traffic thing is another thing. Like nobody wants it. Certainly, I don't want to be going into town. I'm paying enough for my road tax and my car insurance. And my petrol, if I want to drive in, park up, do my shopping, I'm not in there all day, go in, support the retailers and come out. Okay, well, I imagine the green agenda would also include a congestion charge where people would be charged to come in. To the, the green agenda in La La Land, they haven't a clue. They want us all cycling into town. Where do you put your shopping? You go in in the lash rain. What about the older people who really find they can just about manage to still get out? Or people who are disabled, they can just about manage to get out, park their car, do their little bit of shopping, have their cup of coffee and come back. Mm. They're not able to be standing at bus stops with bags hanging off them waiting for half an hour in the rain. Get a taxi? Which, that's not plausible. Last time they free travel on the bus. Why would they be paying for a taxi? Because they couldn't afford it on a pension. Absolutely. You know, it's just, it's just all crazy. I just wonder at what point we have a say in this. Okay. Both the public and the retailers. Thanks, Karen. Appreciate it. I'd love to hear from uh, retailers. Text 0868 Some would be maybe touchy-feely about giving out the names of their businesses in the event of them being down. Uh, but I certainly would like to hear your thoughts and I don't necessarily need to give out the name of your business. George Patterson, in an email, said to me that you only have to look to history. He said you only have to look at cities in England that did this to the city centres and see the destruction it caused. He said... Even Oxford Street, now full of trinket shops and buses lining the roads, arriving in packs. And all we had in Cork City arriving in packs on Saturday were buses. The future would be a city centre tariff that would be put onto motorists that will benefit nobody, as in a charge. If you do bring a car into the city, a charge for the privilege. So you could be charged twice. You could have the congestion charge and then the car park charge. Uh, back to the phone lines. Johnny, good morning. How are we doing, Dave? Good. What are your thoughts on it? And I tell you, just for an instant, I'm parked here at the side of the road and ring a skiddy by Pfizer. Yeah. And there's a fellow standing at a bus stop with just a pole, a bus stop with a pole, and he's being drenched because it's pissing out of heavens. <laughs> really? It's, yeah. rain, it's raining down there. Uh, okay. So lashing. And how long is he waiting, do you know? I'm only here five minutes since I'm on the phone to you. And, he just, it's, and do you know what? It's actually not even a bus stop. It's just where they stand because that's where the bus stops. There's no bus stop or anything. It's just this, it's a little pole that's there like... I know. And that's outside yeah. Pfizer's where thousands of people walk inside that big building, like, you know? So, you're, where, so we want people to stand in buses, bus stops all over the suburbs and uh, in the rain in the middle of winter. We have a half an hour, 45 minutes, sometimes up to an hour. And But, Neil, as I text in my text there, like, in the winter times when people get sick and you try everyone onto the same bus, onto the same train, 
Like, aren't infections these deadly viruses that are around now, they're saying? Like, what's going to happen in the winter when they're telling people, oh, stay two metres apart again? And how is that going to work, like, yeah. when flu season comes around, like? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can't answer that you'll, one. I can't answer that And you'll have a lot more people out of work if that's the transport they have to take when people are coughing and sneezing and uh, on trains and buses and people that aren't sick standing next to them, like, you know? If, 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 if the car, if... Buses were free or very, very cheap or cost of... And plenty, parking. plenty of them, Neil. Yeah. Or you know, plenty was... of them. You don't, you know, I got into the bus a few weeks ago and you, you, I couldn't get a seat. Like, I was standing on the bus. It's only going from the south side to the north side. Like. Mm. Do you know, like, they should have a bus every 10 or 15 minutes on the busy routes, Neil. And then... And like, and then I, I agree with public you, transport. Like, if that was the case, if there was a bus every 10 minutes and, and it was only maybe a euro or 60 or 70 cent or whatever... We'd all be jumping on the buses because it's a hassle to try and find parking for a car. Of course, and especially if you're only going in town to do a small bit of shop and you yeah. carry one or two bags with you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Do you know, yeah. but like, but like, we just do not have the infrastructure in this country. We won't for another twenty years. But these green parties just think they can click a finger and everything is just meant to be done overnight. Like, well, if they can't walk like that, like you know. All right. Okay. I wonder how. You know, we still have a lot of we still have a lot of elderly people in this country too, like that have no idea about like all this kind of stuff that these Green Party are doing they just want to get on with their lives like they're doing for the last 80 odd years like. alright what about that lad at the bus stop is there any chance you give him a lift no <laughs> I tell you the, the bus just put up there only one minute ago by. he shall have it happy ending thanks Johnny get it off your chest text the Neil Brinderville show now 086 8104 106 Red FM interesting one for you so you're in the city and you're doing a bit of shopping or whatever the case may be and you go to pay for something and you find out certainly in a lot of the stuff that they have in Marks and Spencer's M&S that it has actually a sterling tag on it. I came across one of them recently for a purchase in M&S where um, it said on the tag £29.50. Now a lot of the time when I see these kind of things if I'm in a shop I, I don't notice the pound sign. I think it's, it's sterling or I think it's euro so it's when I go up then I realise actually no. So I think that the likes of companies like that really should also uh, put a sticker on with euro or put the euro sticker over sterling, uh, the sterling price, because it will lead to an awful lot less grief. So the £29.50 sterling on this item of clothing in M&S actually converted into a euro charge of €42. Euro. €29.50 euro is not €42 euro sterling. When you do the conversion, £29.50, I should say £29.50, uh, ends up at €33.93. How they get to add another €9 Euro onto it, I have no idea. It's an incorrect conversion. £29.50 is not €42, Euro, it's €33.93. Then I got an email saying, I would said I'd fly into Smith's and get some birthday stuff for the small fella. Hadn't found anything for myself in pennies, only a couple of eucalyptus candles, which I can't even smell because I'm smothered with a cold. Thank you for that. So anyway, as I'm going back to the car park, I throw, I stroll through M&S and I spot a gold-coloured necklace with my initial on it. It looked lovely. I usually get the €2.50 ones in pennies that turn your neck green if you wear them twice. Ah, but that wouldn't matter to me because I don't get out much anyway. So I thought, treat yourself. And I spent the €22.50 instead. Off up to the counter with it. It was marked £20 sterling. When the land lady scanned it, when the lady scanned it, it was priced at not the 22.50 that I thought, 
but €34. Euro. I pointed out the flaw, saying that it read £20 on the tag, and I got, ah, yeah, but that's sterling. I said, I know that, but where in the world does £20 sterling translate to €34? Euro? I did a quick currency conversion on Google, and the equivalent price should have been €23.10, not €34. Euro. I went upstairs to see if there was a customer service desk, but only saw the regular till desk. I asked the lady there if that price could be right. Surely something was wrong. A glitch in the matrix, perhaps. She said, we only ring it up. You need to talk to the manager if you want, but she'll only tell you the same thing. Which is what, exactly? I could have sang the national anthem and Ireland's call by the time her shoulders came down from her two ears. The, the lob a dart and see what number lands on it seems to be the, the approach to Marks and Spencer's currency conversion and I think it's a disgrace. Thank you for that email because in spite of the currency conversion mishaps is beautifully written and it made me chuckle. But there's two examples of it. How do they come up with, in the case of the one that I had, £29.50 converts to €42. Euro. Or in the case of the emailer, £20 sterling converted to €34. Euro. Makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. Anyway, if you have examples of that, do get in touch. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. Now, the Neil Prenderville Show, Red FM. Thank you so much. A lot of different texts on topics, including weather. There's always been storms and heavy rain around the autumn equinox. It's just being hyped up now by climate alarmists like Medairin and co. It's all happened before. Climate is cyclical, says Sean. Um, have a whatever way you want. I'm just telling you there's a storm on the way tomorrow. Bear it in mind. Um, Medairin is now reporting that Storm Agnes will bring strong winds, heavy rain and a generous dusting of snow to coastal areas in the southeast. <laughs> the snow is a new one on me, but I'd rule nothing out. Uh, you had a very interesting discussion with Ken about how our country was shaped in the Ice Age, but listening to how everything changed and how the ice melted makes you think that if that was now, they'd blame it on global warming. Thank you. Yeah, I was interested as well because he was talking about a lot of that ice and the changing of the infrastructure of our county only fifteen to 20,000 years ago. I would, have, I would have always thought it would have been hundreds of thousands of years ago. But 20-odd thousand years ago, ice, what we now have, uh, the city centre. Very informa- interesting information about the archaeological finds in Cork this morning. An ancient fort was discovered in Ballancolic many years ago. Artefacts were found by an archaeological team. They were removed to Dublin. Uh, Later, the now unused fire brigade was built on top of this historic site. It was a poor decision in hindsight, part excavation and perhaps restoration, and it could have been a great tourist attraction. We failed dismally in protecting our ancient heritage. I'm only giving you one example. Why not allow the artefacts taken from the Balancholic Link Road to be returned? An exhibition of these in Balancholic Village would be very welcome. Mwila Bukas, says uh, Chris. Um, and then on many different topics, including car-free cork, I will come back to it in a few minutes' time. But I'll go back to the phone lines, though. To get up, pick up the phone, text 0868-104-106. Uh, um, this is to do with the prices that I gave some examples earlier on this morning. Uh, Marks and Spencer, the conversion from sterling to euro. Roisin, good morning. Hi, good morning. So you heard my two examples, and I have the receipts in front of me to prove them now. One was uh, a clothing item, 
that was marked £29.50 that Marks and Spencer converted to €42. Euro. Go ahead yourself. Um, I went into Zara. I like to shop there. Zara, and, okay. Uh, yeah. I picked up, um, I think it was a pants or something, and I went to the till, and it was marked £39.95. So when I went to pay, it scanned up as forty nine ninety five. Thirty nine euro ninety five was it? Euro, euro, yeah. And um, I, she scanned it through, and I um, pulled her on it and said, "You're coming in at ten euro more." And she said, "No, that's the Spanish price." And she started to take off the tag, and I said, "She said that's the real, the Irish price underneath, which was euro as well." But I said, "They're both euro. It's not that it's sterling. It's a euro." And she said, well, that's the Spanish price. And I said, God, I thought we were on the EU. Yeah. <laughs> and she, uh, no, she said, sorry, I can't do anything about it. That's the Spanish price. And I said, that's very wrong. But, you know, I know there's a big queue behind me and another day, the public car manager. But, oh, my God, yeah. that's even more unfair than yeah. the sterling so conversion more, stories. Yeah, yeah, typical Irish. I mean, yeah. Just an extra tax. I don't know what it is, but yeah. Uh, no, no, I did see that. Well, it's before. not a it's not a state tax or anything. It's not that the government have put that tenor on it. It's Zara have done it for some reason. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, yeah. You saw it I mean, before. You're saying well, tell me. No, I've seen it in Zara before, but um, I can't. Yeah. But hold on, hold yeah. on a second. Why are Zara putting out? These are fashion items, are they? Yeah, yeah. Why are Zara putting out fashion items in their cork shop with the Spanish price mm-hmm. on them? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, to me, like, I've often seen the sterling price, but I've never seen a euro on top of a euro. Um, I was kind of shocked. I mean, I even said that to her, it's not sterling, it's euro. And she said, no, that's the Spanish price. She said, that should have come off before I went into the store here. I mean, yeah. what, where would they get the tenor from? Is it that Spanish people wouldn't <laughs> pay? Yeah, so know. the Spanish wouldn't tolerate the prices we pay, is it? Possibly, I don't know. Because don't know. the cost of manufacturing it is the same for a Spanish person wearing it as you. Mm-hmm. Did you buy it? Yeah. Shame for you, I did. <laughs> <laughs> and I really like this, I like that. No, I'm not. I'm not scolding you. I'm not scolding you, but you you shouldn't be paying an extra tenner because the, the, no, and anyway no, no, they don't. shouldn't have the Spanish price on it. They and nor should Marks and Spencers have sterling prices. They should have yeah, yeah, euro. Yeah, yeah. But you can. I mean, as bad and all as the sterling prices, you can kind of see away around that. But euro on top of the euro is just a tenner. I mean, just crazy. A tenner yeah. is the difference. Yeah, yeah. A tenner. Just get on to another subject there, Neil, because I'm in a rush. I'm Off you go. Yeah. I'm, you know, just a quick one. I'm now collecting my child who's 13, who was on the orthodontist list for a few years. His teeth are out, were out 11, over 11 millimetres, so that's fairly out. Um, I got to the point of seeing an orthodontist briefly while my other child was there, and I asked about a pre a pre-retainer um, so that he wouldn't lose his teeth. I showed him a photograph of my child with his teeth and the bleeding and the gums because during sport, the teeth would go down into the gum and it would be bleeding. Oh. And I was told by another orthodontist that um, he could lose his teeth, permanent, you know, his, his permanent teeth could be gone, so he could be looking at false teeth. So they said they don't do uh, pre-retainers anyway, whatever, blah, 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 but he'd be going on the list. 
So I got a phone call anyway the other day. The phone, the list for the orthodontist for is now seven years behind. And your I son will be twenty-one. Yeah, I, yeah. Now you could imagine the bullying in school with your teeth out like that, right? Plus the fact he could actually lose the teeth. So it's not even well mental health issues. I mean. I won't go on my comments were made to him before. Ah, that's sad. Does I'm he get okay. does he get things said to him? Well, no, he doesn't because I had to go private. Oh, I know, but I know, but there was words said. Pri- oh, like, there was. There was someone said, "Park your teeth around the back of the hall." There. I mean, you know, mental health issues. Would yeah, no, that would that would that know. would really screw up a young fellow. Yeah, 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 yeah. But anyway, to get back to it. I'm now paying four and a half thousand privately. Had to get a loan from the credit union and paying it in stages. So that my child won't get bullied. And, like, I'm lucky I can get the loan because lots of people can't. Um, I just think it's not fit for purpose, the orthodontist um, in the Cork and Kerry. I think region, they're both the same. Um, and oh seven-year wait is just is scandalous. I mean... You'll be waiting seven no years to get it through the yes, public system. I had system. no option but to do it because he could have lost his two front teeth. It's not a case of even the cosmetic issue of it. He could have lost them because of the impact with sport. They were so out, you know. And um, no, they've gone way back because I did get a pre-retainer from the orthodontist. But you had to fund it yourself. To, yeah. Four and a half yeah. grand. No, I despair. Yeah. I really and truly do. You wonder why you pay taxation at all in this country. Yeah. Really and I do. understand people paying privately if it's um, cosmetic reasons and all that. Like, and they, there's a slight crooked tooth. No, I, I get. I get. No, I mean that's cosmetic. You know, I, I just think that the system here everywhere isn't what's the purpose. It's just, yeah. Anyway, I just add that in though while I'm late running for my appointment. Go for Roisin. It's a pleasure talking to you. Take care of yourself. Oh, I'm sorry. One more thing I just want to say is my sympathies on your father. My um, He actually got my father um, the job in cashes years ago where my father, Jim Lane, went on to be the manager in the furniture department. He worked with your father in Cavendishes originally. I, I, I knew your dad. Yeah, 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 yeah. I knew him very well, actually. And I had a great time for him. dementia going, no, but he remembers all that and he remembers your father and how he got him the job in cashes. Oh, well, that's lovely. That's lovely. If my dad were alive, he'd love to hear that story. Give my regards to your dad, though. Lovely guy. I will, I will. All right, take care of yourself, Roisin. I know Jim Lane. I knew him well way back in the day. Um, I bet you I'll get other calls on orthodontics and the treatment of our children. And I mean, it's the very young and the very old, actually, and I've experienced of both. And if you don't have deep pockets or have money, you really are screwed in this country for the things that you should get automatically. But there you have it, an orthodontics list for a young fella um, of seven years. And I would say that's probably conservative, that seven years. You can be sure of that. Um, I will come back to a lot of different texts from yesterday as well. But isn't that a bizarre thing? That not only is the conversion rates all over the place between sterling and euro, and I've given the examples, but I won't repeat myself again. I've given you two examples of that. But now we have the Spanish euro price and the Irish euro price. So for an item that was uh, thirty nine ninety five. um and end up paying forty nine ninety five because the cheaper one by ten euro is what they pay in Spain. Back to the phone lines we go, but do text oh eight six eight one zero four one zero six. Donald, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you doing? I'm good. Um, again, we're back to the state of the city and cars and pedestrianising it and buses. Go ahead. Yeah, Neil. I think uh, like I made this suggestion back when uh, they were looking there for the public's um, kind of ideas on the transport system a couple of years ago, I'm sure it was. 
But anyway, basically, I was thinking a lot about this, you know. Wouldn't it make a lot of sense if there were, like, shuttle buses uh, going from places like Balancholic, Mahan, uh, the north side of the city, ferrying people in and out of town, and if there were regular shuttle buses rather than the big double-decker buses that we presently have. Um, I, I think that, you know, it would encourage people... Uh, to jump on these buses if they were going in around the estate and have stops, you know, and, and bus shelters around the estates because with the weather we have, Neil, I think all the bus lane or the cycle lanes are a complete waste of money because nobody's going to get up in a bike no, with the, no. the winds that just, and the I'm rain just that not we get, seeing, you know? I'm just not seeing the amount of cyclists that they're claiming will use all the cycle lanes. And I cycle all of the time. I think just... we'll, we'll be walking back from where we are again and the bus lanes will be all, sorry, the cycle lanes will be all taken away again because they won't be used. But presently, you know, this thing that they're doing where they're having kind of carefree days, that would have been an ideal time to try the shuttle buses to see if they'd work. I know what you're saying, yeah. I think sometimes we have this, we have these plans that suit a Mediterranean climate being imposed on an yeah, Irish yeah. climate. It's just it's makes not going to work. With the inclement weather, Neil, I guarantee you if you had shuttle buses now on the car-free days, if you had shuttle buses going in and out of town, I guarantee you you'd see a, a, an increase in the number of people going to town, you know, all the hassle okay. Good of parking the okay. car and walking from the car to the shops. If the buses were going right into the centre and dropping people right at the you know, say South Mark. Well, there's a lad like earlier on this morning, in spite of all of the buses, his ma'am used to go into yeah. town on a Saturday morning. She loved it. Um, and last Saturday was the first yeah. time ever that she didn't do it because of the restrictions, Look, because it, they drop it, her in the and pick her buses, up. Yeah, but even the shuttle buses, from the point of view of the elderly, getting them out of the house and that, with people that would say have gone beyond wanting to drive a car and all the rest of it. I just think now, as they're doing right. these carefree days, would be an ideal time to have a couple of shuttle buses and see how it goes, you know. Okay, see the, let me do some text on it. Thank you for that, Donald. Appreciate it. They have no consideration for those permanently wheelchair-bound anymore. Another one, for God's sake, do you really think that when Cork City Council comes up with an idea that they're going to come out and say it was a flop? Of course they're going to say it was a huge success, whether it was or not. Says Desi, you're spot on there. They're hardly going to say, oh, actually, that didn't work. What about in the winter with all these supposedly deadly viruses around? Would it be good to have so many people on the same transport? Uh, I live near Middleton and I know a lot of people down east who never set foot in the city. The reason being that it's a kip. And I'm telling you the truth. It's filthy with scumbags everywhere. Middleton has everything you need. Great shops, great restaurants and plenty of free parking. Uh, regarding public transport in the city, I just did three laps of the Glanmire Loop and the same people were waiting at three bus stops for the 214 and no sign of a bus. This was over the course of a 60-minute walk. I'll be driving my car into town later, says Yvonne. So in 60 minutes, as you did three laps walking and doing your thing, same people were at the same three bus stops for an hour. Uh, someone needs to go back to school. Plants process carbon dioxide, not carbon monoxide. Please tell James. Cars produce carbon monoxide. <laughs> And that is a pollutant and a carcinogen. And thank you for that. I think James got his, and me too, his dioxides and his monoxides mixed up. The people who are making the decisions on the cost of car parking in the city are the very ones who have complimentary free 
city council parking. I went in for a meal recently and I paid 15 euro for three hours in a car park. I won't be returning again. Uh, one or two more. About four weeks ago, myself and my daughter walked through Patrick Street at half past nine in the morning. The smell of pee from Dawn Square to the chateau was chronic and unbearable. It was a Monday morning. It was sickening. As the street got wider, the smells started to fade. It was a shop. It was shop doorways where the smells were coming from. Yes, public toilets are needed badly. There weren't any council workers washing down the streets like you would see abroad. It was an horrific smell. You're such a fool, blaming mankind for all the damage to the planet. What are we supposed to do? Live in caves and eat leaves? Is it? Thank you for that. Thank you. I don't ex- take exception to being called a fool when it's a funny text like that. It's great to hear the Lord Mayor telling us that the Carfree Day was a success. As a public figure, would he like to release the data that he has that allowed him to come up to this conclusion so they can collect all of the data in two days and release an official statement to the general public, is it? Or ask him, did he just go down the usual politician route and make it up? Show me the figures. Let's be honest, this is going to affect the city. We don't need them making things up just to justify bad decisions they make with our city. The Green Party is putting more carbon in the air with all of the concrete they're using for all these giant footpaths than the cars would do in 10 years. Um, And there's loads more like this. Didn't Dublin have the imp buses? What happened to them? Small and frequent. That would work perfectly in Cork City Centre, says uh, Column. The imps served local routes in Dublin in the quickly sprawling suburbs and they used them in the 80s and 90s, the imp service. I'm just after coming back to Cork after four years due to COVID and my God, I was shocked. It's got so dirty and grotty looking, grotty looking. People are openly taking drugs um, and uh, yeah, I think you're talking about different um, you know, shops and different stores. Um, and also I think the changing uh, landscape of the shops that are in the city now as opposed to four years ago so thank you for that the cocaine hall down in East Cork sorry in Wexford by the time you buy 400 euro worth of pure cocaine in South America that 400 euro of pure cocaine in South America sells on the streets of Ireland for 90,000 euro that's some profit and that's probably why cocaine is everywhere. Keep them coming. Text 0868 104 106. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818 104 106. Cork's Red FM. I was telling you recently, actually, I had a buddy who was over in uh, Spain and he went into Lidl and he was looking at the different prices of the wine. And the wines in Lidl in Spain are the same as the ones that you have in the Lidl shops in Cork, like the Mayor de Castilla is a white wine, for instance. Uh, there was a red one then called Tulga, which is a red wine. That's also, many of these are available in the Lidl's in Ireland, but the prices, the prices would make you not want to get out of bed in the morning. So the Vino Blanco, Mayor, Mayor de Castilla, a 2022 white, €1.79. I wonder what you pay for it in the Lidl in Ireland. There's another white then, which is an Albali, um, a Sauvignon Blanc, €1.39. I no longer drink wine or anything like that, so I don't have any skin in the game here. But for people that do, the red wine then, the Vino Tinto Navarra, quite sure that that's probably available in the Lidl's in Ireland over there, one ninety nine. And then bizarrely, there is a couple of red wines that he sent me photographs as well uh, from Spain of a Vino Tinto, a Tinto at €1.29. I mean, that would be 8 or €9 Euro anyway, wouldn't it be, in a Lidl here or an Aldi like that? They're the price comparisons. If that wasn't bad enough, then you have shops in Cork with the Spanish price in euro, 
which is not the same equivalent to the Irish price in euro. There was a tenner in the difference on a 39 euro purchase. You talk of all things purchases though, um, and I will come back to lots of texts and what have you like that. And don't, if you also, as a parent, got in touch with me with regards to your comments on children with special needs from yesterday's programme, I will endeavour to read out as much, if not all of them, as I can. But the changing face of Cork City, and we were mentioning it easy this morning, and I can segue easy in now to the different shops that it would have been in the city, you know, 15, 20, 30 years ago, even a decade ago. And you know of the history of Roach's stores. Um, which, uh, you know, started way, way back in the day. Roach's Stores was founded in Cork in 1901 by William Roach. Read a beautiful article on the, um, you know, the, the history of the staff in Roach's Stores in a recent edition of the Cork Independent, where they said Roach's Stores was founded in 1901 by William Roach, the son of a farmer from North County Cork. In 1919, uh, Roach moved the business to Patrick Street, which was to be the flagship store and was for many, 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 many decades. And of course, it closed in 2006, sold to Debenhams. Debenhams continued for a while. And of course, we all know what happened to Debenhams. And we all know the state of play with the building now. It's just closed. Who knows what the plans will be? The stories change every day. Uh, But the staff um, have uh, many get-togethers and many reunions. I believe the last time... They had a reunion, was in the Market Tavern some years ago. Um, and there's another one planned, but enough of me. I was mad keen to talk to some of the staff from down through the years. I'll talk to Christine in a second, but first up, the one and only Finbar Buckley. Finbar, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Good morning. Thanks for having us on. Ah, it's Thanks my pleasure to have you on, because it's great, great to do a bit of nostalgic reminiscing. When did you start in Roaches? I started in Roaches, Neil, would you believe, in November 1977. And this week is a, a very poignant week for me because if I had stayed in Roaches with the company all through those years, I would be re retiring this coming Friday at the age of 65. Fair play. Was it your and first job? Is, my first job was in the hardware receiving room, stock room. But was it straight uh, out of school is what I'm saying? Straight out of school. I finished in Colossal Street and a very good a very good friend of mine, uh, Jerry Desmond's mother said, look, I, I, I had a clue what I wanted to do. So, um, it, uh, Gerald's mother said, Finn, can't you try roaches? They're always looking for uh, people. So I uh, sent in my uh, handwritten um, CV. That time, did, like, there wasn't much to it. There wasn't much to say. In. Just finished school. <laughs> Just finished school. <laughs> oh, yeah, I couldn't. I had uh, too many honours in that, I'd say. No, I was out of my leaving. So when I went in, anyway, I got my interview. And I can tell you the date. I started on Monday, the 5th of November, 1977. And just briefly, Neil, um, like, you know, immediately, immediately I went in there. I got this kind of vibrant, good working atmosphere in there, you know, working with lovely people, lovely management, very respectful, you know. And, you know, you were talking in your previous uh, article there, or your previous interview there about how... Cork City, you know, shopping is difficult in there, tra- getting traffic in there, you know. And one of my earliest memories was the the, the uh, church holiday on the 6th of December when the farming community used to come up to the city, you oh, know. I know that and days, yeah. Do you yeah. remember that? Do you yeah. remember that? You yeah. up, like, they used to buy their Christmas uh, goods that time, they're, they're called the Christmas present. And I have a vague memory. We were absolutely cleaned out. Well, they, they come in with wads of cash. This is long before credit and debit cards. like. And, and, and my memory was... Um, um, bringing down electrical goods, hardware goods, all day down, and seeing at the at half past five that day, 
the actual shelves were empty. Go away. Could you credit that? Go away. Could you credit that, Neil? I mean, like, when you think of it, like, how vibrant Cox City was that time, you know, you had Cassius, ourselves, Duns, maybe... Um, Monster you know, Arcade. Monster Arcade. Going up then, you'd have had Woolworths, going up further to Queen's Hall Castle. And, you know, there was never any talk about parking difficulties or, you know, getting into town. And town used to be, you know, awash with people, like, an absolutely awash with people yeah. coming in. Yeah. And I think Roaches offered that fantastic product of having everything, you know? Yeah. Were they good everything. to work for the Roaches, they were? Oh, Excellent, absolutely excellent to work. Like, what I'm saying, Neil, is we always got paid, we got an overtime, we got a Christmas bonus, which which I suppose many people weren't giving, you know. Yeah. My, my late father, Dave, who was a, um, a painter decorator in the Cock Harbour Cock Commission, never got a bonus, like. Yeah. He was working, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And yeah. like, I said, look, I remember my first bonus as a part-timer on the Christmas I started, I got a tenner. And a tenner was a nice, a nice couple of bob that time because my first wage packet was sixty-six pounds, you know, sixty-six pounds. So, like a tenner was a nice little, yeah. nice little bit extra to yeah. get, you know. Well, certainly and, if you were working somewhere where you love to go to work every day, because you describe oh, it as being like one big family. I tell you, look, um, Neil, I can't emphasise that enough. And the few reunions we had in the past. You know, just kind of, there was that electric atmosphere straight away that we all knew each other. We all got on so well, you know. Well, let's all have superb memories of, of, of the happiest time of my life walking, you know. I can't remember, but a pal of mine, I think it might have been Karen Barry. I think Yorick sent me um, a, a, a f- photographs on Instagram of the original Rocha Stores employees guidebook. Did such a thing exist about your dress and your attire and how you treat it the did. customer, never turn your back, always answer the questions, yeah, what you know, yeah. what time your break was, what you, you, all of the, you know, dress codes, things like that. It sounded really old-fashioned, but it was a lovely thing. Look, Neil, you know yourself, like, you know, I remember um, going up to the, um, and oh, Donovan, she was the personnel manager, right, and she had a big sign behind her, without a customer, we have no business. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so the customer really was number one inside New York. And that's why, Neil, when I, when I worked in sales afterwards, you'd have people come in, the same customers come in. And my colleague coming afterwards will probably tell you this as well. You have people come in to you because you gave that personal service. And they come in day in, day out, you know, because um, we gave them service that they liked, you yeah, know. Yeah. Well, and you can buy anything in all the different departments. And and let's not forget, there was also a, a supermarket in Roaches, wasn't there? Oh, there was. Yeah. I, I mean, can you remember when the supermarket, like in the original shop, when Merchant Street was there, you had a supermarket, you go down a few steps, you go across to the nursery department, and then you had a furniture store, yeah. which was out on the Oh, I forgot that you, as can well. Can you remember that? Yeah, I do. And of course, Merchant that? Street is gone. It got, oh, it disappeared when Merchant's Key was built, but you're absolutely exactly. right. And of course, the yeah. cake shop. Oh, the cake shop. I mean, people, like, cafe. I'm walking up, I'm walking up and see you here, and some of the nurses say to me, Finn, the cakes that we was getting so there, like, <laughs> real cream, real <laughs> cream in the cakes, you know? The, know? Little, the little trifles yeah. in the little plastic tubs, remember them? Oh, God, yeah, I remember that. Good. Anil, Anil, what they had was, you won't believe it, what they had was, they had four, four, can you, you might remember this as well now, between the nursery and between the, the um, coffee bar, for we, we was called the coffee bar, they had four public phones with a little hood <laughs> over them. I mean, that's right, let's, that's right. 
a public phone was like gold that time because it was the only place you could make a call. That's you know, right. if you couldn't get into the one on the street. Do you know what I'm saying? Well, it was a great so, treat as young fellas, or you're, you know, going oh, into yeah. town with your mum and getting the cake inside yeah. in Roach's stores or whatever the case may be. But what, so what happened then? That did the Roach family just decide they they'd had enough, or did did things just change in that regard, or what? I say, well, well, Neil, I took a voluntary redundancy package in 2005 when it was still roaches, you know. And, and like, you know, you could see, I think that, you know, um, Stanley Roach, the owner that time, was kind of handing the reins down to his his family himself, you know. And I'd say, you know, look, the impression I got, they had their money made. Um, they wanted to invest in other things. The opportunity came maybe when Debenhams came in to kind of leave yeah. out the lease of all their stores to yeah. a kind of Debenhams. And, and you know what, maybe they didn't want to keep driving a business, you know, that had been very productive for the bones of 70 or 80 years there. Do you know what I'm saying? I know, so, I know, I know. Um, yeah. You know, it, like it was a chance for the kids to enjoy the fruits of the the money that was made, really, you know. But, sorry, Neil, just to bring you back, remember you had me on the show back in 2016. I just want you to recall this. Um, you had me back. We had a reunion in Clancy that time, and you were, you actually kindly had me on the show, you know. Yeah. And I remember you relating to me, and look, my condolences on the recent passing of your dad. Thank you, but thank you. I think you said that your dad, you might uh, refresh me on this, he had bought, like, a sun chair, or something that was in the family. Uh, my, my, my father's mother, my grandmother, um, right. had has, and I have it now. It's in my possession. Uh, my father yeah. gave it to me, and we got it all done up and reupholstered. It, it was a, it's a rocking chair. Um, right. um, and actually I can trace the rocking chair from uh, a Roaches store's catalogue they used to print catalogues yeah. Roaches that's right. That's right. Yeah, from, yeah. From, and right. it's in the catalogue from 1903 and it was 26 shillings so ah, it's 120 stop. years old now oh, and it's as good God. as yesterday ah, stop. a rocking ah, chair yeah. rocking chair yeah. like, that says it all really doesn't it you know um, and I remember Neil, I wrote a piece for that for that gathering that kind of appeared in the uh, Hollywood later on in 2016, the Christmas. I, I remember saying like the uh, people of Cork lamented the passing of Roaches, you know? Oh, big because time. Big time. Yeah, big time. And, and like, Neil, you must remember, right, in the Noor store, right, in the Noor, when you walked in from Patrick walked through into the supermarket, there was a footfall there of 80-odd thousand a week, which would have been the capacity of Crow Park on all on Sunday. <laughs> you know what I mean? Hold That's on a second football. there, you can jump back in. Christine worked over 25 years in Roaches. Christine, good morning. Hi, Finn. Morning, how are you keeping? Did, did you know that Finbar Buckley could talk so much? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. No matter what night of that needs to be organised, whatever yeah. matches for the Roaches stores, we used to go up to Dublin, we used to go to Galway, and Finbar would organise all the matches. We would all go watch the matches, stay over nice back down. Did Roaches have its own soccer team then? Oh, Neil, Neil, don't stop me. Neil, don't stop me. I could be shouting at all. Neil, I played for 14 years on that team. He loved it. He loved it. But Christine, was there a social club then where you did get together all of the time? And I I hear, like, in the article in the Cork Independent, everybody went to everybody else's 21st engagement, wedding, funeral, sadly. See, what happened was that we all started and then we were 16, 17. None of us left. 
So we all kind of grew up and run around the same age bracket. So like if one person is 24, somebody else would have one next week because we were all the same age. So many people were lifers then. Why Was, was it that yeah. good, yeah? <laughs> yeah. Like even Sim Barnard have organised um, soccer matches between Rochester's Cork, Rochester's Galway. We'd travel up, we'd stay overnight, we'd have a night out up there. Now, the match, we didn't really, the women didn't really look at the matches, but we were just the nights out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It was brilliant. It was just like a little one big family. I know. Um, now, a lot had to do with our managers as well. Um, now, we had a few managers that were all brilliant, but one fella that really I still adore is a man called John Mackin. Um, basically, we'd have all had some sort of trauma in our life. I had a few traumas, and that man would have brought me to the office, sat me down, give me a hug, talk it through with me, tell me to go home, relax. He'd ring me again tomorrow if I, if I wasn't up to coming in. Yeah, a lot has to do with people. Isn't that amazing friends. that you never forgot yeah. that kindness, though? No, never. Isn't it? To this day, I've never forgotten it. And were you offered a good job in Aer Lingus back in the day and turned it I down? Was on my final, I was on my final interview for Aer Lingus, but I got offered a supervisor's job inside, which would have been much more money than Aer Lingus. So, yeah, I cancelled my final interview and stayed in all stores and stayed there until my last child was now 21. My wife's um, older sister actually worked in Roach's stores, possibly with, with you guys back in the day. And one of the treats when my wife was very young was she'd bring home a box of cakes on a Friday. Oh, my God, uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and uh, I remember one of the stories where it was put down on a low coffee table and the dog ate the entire box of cakes. Possibly. <laughs> <laughs> like, if you saw the queue, no matter what time of the day, regardless what day of the week, the queue was too deep. Like, we were the staff were inside the counter... And like you just couldn't see an end of the queue. It was constant you know, no matter what. Like I have so many memories of it and people listening I hope will share their own. Text 0868104106. Yeah. One of the things I remember about Roach's stores is that you could have bought something in Dunn's, lost the receipt yeah. and got a refund yeah. for it in Roach's. <laughs> we were told as we were told as supervisors, right? The way we were to work was if someone came in, they had worn the outfit and um, <laughs> Basically, and we and we say no. They go and call the manager. The manager would say yes. So the way we were trained basically was: if you think that the customer comes in, the customer has worn something. But if you think at the end of the day you're going to give a refund, don't bother arguing. Just give it to another staff. Isn't that amazing? And yet, yeah. huge profits were made even with that yeah. kind of an approach. Yeah. Fimba, you tell the story very well of uh, some fellow who sent in a, 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 two pieces of twine. One was the measurement of his waist, and the other was the measurement of his leg. Was it? <laughs> That's right, that that's Pat right. Pat O'Sullivan, yeah. What did he... Do you know that story as well, Christine? What did he do? Yeah, Chris has that story there, Neil. Chris, yeah. Chris, Chris, uh, Chris tells that better than me, actually. Well, you know? yeah. <laughs> yeah, Pat O'Sullivan, yeah. he worked in the men's department. And he had this customer that should come in from the country every couple of months. Basically, sometimes he couldn't come in, so what he would do would be he would send in two pieces of string. <laughs> One piece was his waist. The other piece was his leg. Right, it's not his inside leg, the other part, yeah. um, which was probably never changed, as Pat would say. They get three pants, fire pants, a black, a brown, and a grey, I think. Pat would, he would send money into Ashley, there was no such thing as credit cards, or there was credit cards, which was kind of awkward. Yeah. He would send in the money, basically, in cash. It would come by post for Pat. Pat would send the pants out to him. And that was constant. Yes. Of and string. that's the way it worked. 
know? There was someone else actually that wanted to get curtains. Who knows that story? The one in the cork in the rooms. Neil, I have that story there. You know, the girls in the curtain department were kind of very knowledgeable on measurements and stuff and cutting and all that, you know. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when a customer come in, they say, it's, you know, they say, it's just, might ask the customer, what's the drop in the curtain, you know? Yeah. She says, she says oh, I don't know, I never measure. And and they say, the sister, and, and as far as not was growing at the time, Grinder would have said, where are you, where are you living, you know? And um, he might say, Greenland's Court or something, or uh, wherever, you know? And uh, she said, well, that's a 90 by 90 drop. <laughs> How did you know <laughs> that? Just, you know, but see, they were they, like they were so knowledgeable from all their previous customers where they lived, and you know, like like Roach's staff, I suppose, got going to know the uh, customers on a, like a personal level as well. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. you, like as you're serving, you're probably chatting away where you're from and all that kind of stuff. But you know, came into the chat and conversation and stuff. So this was all built in knowledge that was used later. You know, uh, I know, so, yeah. I know. I think I've Rose later, O'Connor though. as well, actually, who worked alongside you, Christine. Did she Rose? Did, yeah, both Good morning, yeah. Neil. I did indeed, and Finbar did. Finbar started two years after myself I started in 1975 straight out of school so yeah and I would that would have been a good job out of school then because there would have been known oh, to be listen. good employers yeah sure roaches were I mean they were what we would call in the day a good pensionable job so if you got into roaches I mean in those days people didn't move they didn't flick from job to job like they do now because I suppose the opportunities weren't there um, so if you got into Roaches, as Christine said, they paid more than Aer Lingus at the time. It was a good good salary. And, and there were other jobs. Pay. I mean, like uh, Christine was saying, she could have got Aer Lingus. You were off for other jobs. So many probably. Yeah, yeah. And if you worked in Roaches stores, you were poachable too, weren't you? Oh, exactly. Exactly. And even I suppose we realised that when we um, found ourselves redundant and out of work, um, where all you had to do was put on your CV that you worked in roaches and straight away, it, you know, you were considered because obviously they knew you were going to be loyal and honest and you had the training and you had the, the customer service background. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. It, it, it was just, yes, you were going to be taken on, you know. So it's and, that, all that. And t- tell me, how, when did you fit? Did you stay on for Debenhams then, I wonder, Rose? No, I didn't at the time because they were doing, as they said, ra- rationalisation at yeah, the time. Yeah. And so we had the option to come down from supervisor um, and stay in the store and work then as sales assistant. But for myself, I would have thought it would have been very difficult. You know, I yeah, had been... Yeah, oh, sure, I know. I was, of, I was just curious how long you... you yeah, I, I, got, yeah. I got a lovely so, photograph sent in there just a minute ago uh, by mm-hmm. somebody, Breeder. It's, it's a photograph of what looks like a carriage clock and it says the first yeah. 100 years. Can anybody tell me yeah. what that's about? Yeah, we all got uh, one of those at the time to mark the anniversary, the 100 year anniversary. So all the staff we were given one, I actually still have it. It was a small little clock with a sort of um, a Roche Store's emblem on it. on it. With the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it still so working? It it's still working. It is indeed. <laughs> Typical of roaches. <laughs> but Neil, can I just take you back there Typical to one thing roaches. that Simbar was talking about, as in you know, like the, the service and the goodwill um, that we got from the customers. I remember they mentioned Mr. John Mackin there, my, my favourite man. <laughs> he um, told me a story one time that there were two older ladies, let's say, came into the store from outside the city and they bought four glass lampshades, ceiling lights. Right. Um, and as they were on their way out, 
they dropped them. <laughs> and all four of them broke. So they were in a tizzy, of course. And Mr. Mackin, being Mr. Mackin, approached the ladies and said, now, ladies, don't worry at all. You come back with me and I'll replace those for you. They bro- and they Did were they break amazed. them on the he street? Was- they broke them. They broke them in the store on the way out the side street. And all four of them, as I said, they were in boxes and obviously they couldn't manage them and they broke. So he called them back and he replaced all four shades and they didn't want to because they were saying, oh, no, no, there's no need for that. Not at all. We wouldn't have that. It was entirely our fault. No, no, no. He said, you take the replacement shades. And ever after, he said, those ladies would make a point when they were in the store of coming up and thanking him and having the chat with him. So he figured he got the goodwill. He made more on those customers than he would have because they came back. Is Mr. Mackin still with us or has he passed? Oh, he is. He is indeed. He is indeed. Yes, yes, he is. And I would like to think that custom... No, it's not the same anymore. I was going to think I'd like to think that it is the same, but it's not. I was just listening to there earlier on and you were talking about people going up to register and the items were backmarked in sterling. Yeah. Like, in motor stores, if an item was 20 euros and if it was marked 2 euros or it was being pounds, I suppose back then, <coughs> nearly pounds would have went into yours. Right? That customer got to register and that was 50 euros less than what it then, or sorry, 50 euros less than what it should have been if it was marked wrong. They got that piece. Of, that it that sounds as if it was yeah. unique in so many yeah. different regards. Because mm-hmm. unfortunately, we hear mm-hmm. of people going into retail and they don't even get eye contact. Never mind all of the no. things that roaches no. used to do. No, you no know? matter. There was this. There was this particular gentleman. No, I hope to God that Michael Kelly and Paul Reynolds are listening because they were security managers. There was this old man who was going to the food department. He was a lovely man every single week. No. When I was in the food supervising, I know there was another couple of girls as well. He would steal some of the stuff and put them into his bag. Oh, it was fortunate. We knew he didn't have the money for the stuff. I wasn't the only one that turned a blind eye. The staff did. That man came into his shopping and none of us looked his way and he walked out every single week with his, with his groceries free. And because yeah. he just didn't have the price of it? We knew by looking at him. We, and we knew by looking at him he hadn't got the price of it. Um, yeah. No, the security managers didn't know about it, um, but I'd imagine if they did, they probably would have done the same thing. Yeah, I know. Milk of human kindness. Listen, um, everyone will remember the amount of prams we call them buggies now. Do you remember all the prams outside the front door with babies in them and no no mammies and daddies to mind them? <laughs> there was this, I know probably, there was this actually lady, she used to foster kids, Mary was her name, and she had this little boy called David. Now everything that could have been wrong with him was wrong with him. Um, his lifespan wasn't going to be very long and what she actually needed was you know, the old fashioned prams with the big huge wheels that's it yeah and big yeah. springs on them yeah. yeah that's it she needed one of those for this little baby they weren't being made anymore you couldn't buy them second hand and we went around every single department in the shop and we got one of those buggies for her isn't that our amazing our stores delivered it up to our house like you miss yeah. those kind of shops, lads. You miss your Rocha stores and the caches and the Monster yeah. Arcades and things. There's something very special about them, very unique, you know. Yeah. Almost like they were like the grand dames of city shopping, really, weren't they? Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, yeah. You look now, Neil, yeah. you look there now when you go into Tesco and I know Duns have a couple of them as well. But this whole self-service, you know. Not a fan, no? 
Oh, not at all. Not at all. I mean, it's okay if you're able-bodied, you're young and you're able-bodied and you can do all these type of things. But what about the elderly customer, as I said, who would have been, I suppose, the one we would have thought of most and looked mm, after? Mm, mm. Um, I just know, I definitely, I don't agree with it. I think it's very, very sad to see that come in. Ah, yeah, um, but the whole human contact is going anyway because everything is going oh, on. You're all, you're all aware of everybody saying, no, we don't take cash, only tap and all this no, kind of stuff. No, no, no. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. it is such a shame, you know. So I suppose that's why people think so fondly still of roaches. It's still remembered and it's still missed. Um, and that that being the reason, really. I mean, they, like, they were exceptional. Um, and the training that we got was exceptional. I could be here and all morning talking about stories yeah. like that. So it's yeah, great that you yeah. still have get-togethers and reunions. Um, and, oh, yeah. You know, the next one now, I think, is is when is it, Finbar? In Jono's? Sorry, um, Friday, sorry, in uh, Jono's, yeah. yeah I mean, on Friday, um, November 17th. And it's a case and of getting the word out now. Will, will there be many former staff go to things like that? Oh, do you know what, Neil? I tell you, I've arranged a couple in the past. I might throw something very quickly up on Facebook. But I've always been astounded by the amount of people that will show up. It's like that we're waiting to get together, you know. Just know, send out, the, send out the day. And Neil, what I'm hoping with this one, it'll be our best ever. Yeah. And we're after, thanks, thanks to yourself, Cock Independent and 96 last week, we're after getting fantastic I'm delighted. coverage and publicity. Yeah. And I'm delighted. absolutely great. Yeah. And I really, really appreciate it. Neil. And it sounds to me that all three of you, Rose, Christine and your good self, Finbar, miss those days. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, they were yeah. special days. They were special yeah. days, yeah. you know. You know, I just said that. Oh, you have so many fond memories of roaches, you know. And when you meet mm-hmm. up with Rose and Chris and all the farmers, it's just magical, you know. It's just great, you know. Well, I wish I'd, I'd wish I had more time, but it's lovely chatting with you all. Hopefully, we'll chat again. And listen, yeah. I'll get the word out again as we head closer to the month of November. It won't be long coming around, but have a Appreciate great one. Me. Have a great one in Jono's. Thank, Thank you all for the memories. Really thanks, Finbar. Thanks, thanks Christine. Much, and thanks, and thanks to Rose as well. Text 0868104106 lads if you want to share your own memories please do and we'll pick up on it in the morning back after the break. The Neil Prendeville Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday 0818104106 you can text 0868104106. Last bit of business before I go. We don't have time now, but I will check in with the childcare providers who are on their way and probably have arrived in Dublin at this stage because many of them closed for the next three days as a protest. And they're going to gather at Leinster House uh, hoping to shine a light on the challenges facing their members. And I have an opportunity to talk with them maybe in the morning. But I do have a bit of news now. Unfortunately, it's disappointing news. Serena uh, joins me by phone. She'll be on line five. Serena, good morning. Hi Neil, how are you? I'm good. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think that Little Paradise Crash, the childcare, didn't open after the summer. Um, is that the case? No, it did. It, it stayed open because the plan was it was staying open until the new provider took over. Okay, because so the talk was that it was going to be sold to a new provider and now you guys have just got word that that purchase has fallen through, is it? Yeah, we just got an email about less than an hour ago saying that they're not, um, they're not going through with it. And says, Tina is now looking at the underbidder to try and see if they'll take it. An underbidder, because the first choice didn't proceed with the sale. So she's saying, we understand the distress it will cause. We wish it could be different. We were excited with the prospect, um, but it's huge disappointment and regret that we're content to let them know that the purchase will not be going ahead. Do you think there's yeah. still hope with the underbidder? I have no idea. This is just the biggest mess. It's like faulty towers. We are so stressed. I have no idea if this if this will go fall through as well. 
So we're talking about 85 children at least on its busier days, yeah? Yeah, well, I, I know the amount now because the ECC for this year wasn't meant to go ahead. Then it was going ahead. Some kids left, some kids got other places, but then Tina told some of the parents to come back, and they did, and they lost money, and now we've got this email this morning. Okay, so people haven't got and didn't have an opportunity to look elsewhere for their children because they thought this would get across the final hurdle. Well, I was I was one of them. I didn't get any places. Yeah. I was hoping that yeah. it would go. But I have a friend who, two friends who got places, put their kids there, were told to come back. Oh, so no. lost money and deposits no, no. and came back because obviously that question is more convenient. And came back in the understanding that the purchase would go through. Now it's not. She is saying, I'm happy to inform you that I'm in early talks with the underbidder and anticipate to have some news in the next three weeks. Yeah, but that's, that's more waiting. Oh, no, no, I know. I, sure, I know. It's, it's a worry. I know, I know, I know. So what? Huge disappointment for sure. Um, what, are, what are you going to do? I have no idea. It's a waiting game. Like, I, I, I'll end up unemployed if I can't. Sorry. I'll end up unemployed if I can't get childcare. So I, I, it's just, I'm not the only one. We're all stressed about this. There's been so many parents crying over this. You know that creches have closed, many of them for three days, to take their protest to Leinster House. And I 100% agree with them. I think every single childcare place in the country should have closed today. I know it's only a certain amount. I think I heard only 10 from Cork went. I know, but how can we get such important things so wrong in a country that's supposed to be awash with money? Our children in particular. Oh my God. It's it's how do they expect people to work? And like, a creche is very important for social skills as well. And and all those girls up working in that crash are amazing. They're lovely girls. And now they're faced with this again this morning. I know, I know. Sorry to hear I it. Mean, that's, comp- that's their jobs as well. It's just, I, it's just so stressful. I'm out of time. I'm, I'm, I know that. No help. From, I'm pick, I'll pick up on it in the morning. I'm way over time for now, Serena. But thank you for coming on the air. Appreciate it in your time of uh, trauma and worry and anxiousness. Um, We'll have to see what happens. And maybe I'll get an opportunity to also talk to Tina in the morning because she must be devastated as well with the sale falling through. Uh, lines that stay open, lads. Pick up the phone 0818104106. Text 0868104106. I'll see you tomorrow. For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts.